hesitation Got me going crazy Keep it moving, I'm tuned in to True North Racing The podcast that you need if you got the need for speed John Morrison interviewing guests in the industry Short track, stock car racing Gotta get it hyped, Saturday night under the lights Hear the engine rooming by Smell the gas and feel the vibe Going into overdrive Drop the flag, then the car zooming by True North Racing, let's go Welcome back for another week of the True North Racing Podcast. My name is Megan Mitchell and joining me this week is John Morrison as always. This episode is going to be a good one guys as in in a little bit we will be bringing on the Iron Man Gary Elliott. We will be talking to Gary about his beginnings in stock car to where he is today. It's going to be a great chat with him but before we bring in Gary, John how was your weekend? You know what my weekend was actually pretty good. I, I, I can't complain. Besides surviving that tornado like weather we had yesterday, that was that was just absolutely insane. I don't know how it wasn't by you, but man, I we got trapped in the dollar store yesterday. Really? Yeah. So we oh. ran over to pick up the pan because I was smoking a turkey today. And uh just as we were about to leave, I was like, Oh, you know, the weather's getting bad. I'll go outside, grab the car, meet Jacqueline at the front of the store so that way she can just jump in, we can go. Mm-hmm. Just as I'm about to walk out that door, is like the wind just picks up. And I just hear her hollering at me. She's like, no, no, don't go outside. Don't go outside. I'm looking like, that's ah, not that bad. Next, you know, boom, <laughs> tornado-like winds. Like, if I went outside, I probably would have blown away or something. I swear. And, it, and it's hard to move me. I'm 330 pounds. It is hard to move a guy <laughs> like me. But looking at the wind and, and stuff like that, like, the, there's a Burger King that's right there. Mm. And the sign flew away. Oh my god! The, the the sign on the side of the building <laughs> flew away. That's crazy. So how's the weather by you though for that? Honestly, like it, it was nothing. Really? Case. Yeah, like it. We got like a little bit of rain, a little bit of wind, but like I was seeing pictures from different tracks, pictures from different cities, and I'm like, oh my god! Like we didn't get anything near what everybody else got so i was kind of shocked like but it seems like hugas has this like vortex like bad weather usually just goes right around us it's really weird you know that's kind of funny though because uh back in erin where, where i used to live i swear that was it's the same thing there unless it's such a big mass that's coming through nine times out of ten you look at the sky like oh we have some good weather coming in Mm-hmm. next you know last second just like it just peels out goes all the way around and reconnects i'm like what like trust me that's it, it screwed me over a few times for soccer i'll tell you that much i'm like mm, i don't really want to put soccer tonight and i'm like oh good bad weather coming through <laughs> nope i'm not gonna lie there's a few times last year when we were like second in points and i saw that the weather was supposed to be really rainy and really crappy and i was like come on like rain out just come on right there where we are don't move but like yeah unfortunately the uh weather the weather gods had other plans yeah they did so other than that what did you get up to for the weekend um not really much honestly like yesterday what did i do yesterday I know you didn't come to Flamborough, that's for sure. I know. I wanted to so bad, but with that weather, I I just I I do sure not blame you. Like 
Yeah. Like I if do we not were, blame you one bit. If we had a car and we were running for points, we would have been there for sure. But like, yeah. I just, I don't know. I didn't want to risk going out there and then it ends up raining and they call it. So I'm like, I just stayed home and did my usual watching race monitor. But I guess hung out at my sister's house. And then today we went to Mississauga to go to the mall. That was fun. Bougie. <laughs> going to the square one mall. I am not like a mall person. I am not a people person. So See, those I, <laughs> I can't do malls, but outlet malls because I'm outside and I just mm-hmm. pop in. I'm I'm perfectly a okay with. I love outlet malls, like the Niagara one. Yes, that's exactly the one I was thinking of, <laughs> and especially because it's got the uh, the Bass Pro Shop right there, and mm-hmm. you know it's awesome. I love it. And they have a whole croc store. Like, oh boy. It's my favorite. I love my Okay, crocs. so remind me you and Jacqueline are not allowed to go into that store together. Well, that, I know uh, what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, Jacqueline loves her crocs. She the kids have their own now, and I'm like, I'm the only one who doesn't have crocs because I refuse to get a pair. So <laughs> No matter like what type it is, I'm just like, mm, no, no, it's not for me. <laughs> I can't rock Crocs. No, I know. I've I've tried to get Kate to get some too. <laughs> she She's <won>. refusing. <laughs> Crocs like, only look good on certain people. I think it's true. Like I, don't I can't. Know I can't rock them. I just <laughs> I wear them anyways. Hey, to each thy own. So obviously Caitlin's not here because we can't really talk about Flambro because I was the only one there. But unfortunately, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak on that a little bit. But last hmm. night car counts were absolutely down in all divisions, and yeah, it was de- guaranteed. It was the weather. Like there's yeah. there's no doubt in my mind. Like Mike Pod, who's usually there b- before I even get to the track, he showed up. I think five minutes before second practice started for us. Oh, wow. We only had 11 cars out because some guys lost power at the shop. Some guys couldn't make it out. Mm-hmm. But for the CVMs, but man, it was just the the whole mood was just down yesterday. And it it was fu- funny because at the beginning of the first feature, our uh, lineup guy, uh, Dave Lacey, hopefully he's not listening or any of the Pachetti. He, he said these first five laps are going to be absolutely insane. Sure enough, going down into turn one, four car pileup. In the CVMs? In the CVMs. Oh wow! I am still unsure what happened. I haven't watched the video yet. Um, I have it on my GoPro, but I just haven't uh, watched it today because I was too busy smoking a turkey. Take a drink every time I say smoking a turkey tonight. That's a that's gonna be a game. <laughs> I'm so proud of that bird. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was beautiful. You saw it. it, it oh. Yeah, again, you guys should have just came over for, for dinner. We would have had enough. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to do like a, a whole like uh, potluck thing for us. And, you know, we supply the meat. You guys you know, bring your own stuff. Come over mm-hmm. for an afternoon. We'll have just smoked meat all day and stuff, stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah, the four car pilot. <laughs> so at, uh, yeah, they uh, going down into turn one, we had. Scott Tinelli started on the pole. We had Steve Murdoch on the outside. And I don't know. I'm not still not sure what happened. But the 24, the 8, 
and the 15 um, all got together. And uh, unfortunately, it ended the eights night. The eight loaded up. Uh, they were all able to drive away, and the 62 got involved, uh, but near the end because he was on the outside. And all the cars slid up the track going into one. Hmm. And uh, th- so the eight and the 62 were still in the wall. Everyone else was able to, to drive away, but they and the 62 both got away. Uh, the only cars who didn't come back out were the eight and the 62. They were just too much repairs to do on the 62. But they were able to get back out. But the second feature was good. But the eight loaded up and headed out there, headed out home. And yeah, I still I don't know what happened. I didn't get a chance to talk to the driver of the eight car last night, Ricky Williger. But all the divisions put on a great race. The Pure Socks that was that, they put on a great show last night. Um, Cameron Thompson borrowed our, my GoPro for the night in feature two. So there's some good footage there. Uh, he's going to get the footage for it soon and he'll be posting it. Uh, he asked for it and, and I told me, yeah, sure. I'll just put your GoPro, put the GoPro in and grab the footage for you. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he, uh, he's got some good footage there, but the Pierce Sox put on a great race uh, Two We had two Joe media drivers finish in the top five. Um, in each of their features, Alex Stewart got a P3 in, in first, well, P- feature one, and uh, Cameron Thompson got second place in feature two, which was awesome. Uh, Kaylin Wallace got a P4 and a P5 in her features. She drove a hell of a race. We we got up there when we could and watched them. So proud of her. Kaylin, if you're watching or listening, hell of a job this past weekend. So proud of you guys. You guys have not had a good start to the season, but Hey, a fourth and a fifth place. You cannot be upset about mm-hmm. keep digging. You guys are going to get up there sooner or later. Oh, so proud of her. So proud of her. I just want a whole tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> good, good God. I need to stop doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and I was supposed to let you do all the talking tonight too. <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> part. I, I set it up. So that way, like Megan was going to like take care of most of this stuff. And here I am just taking it over. Uh, I just like to be here. We're gonna, so we're going to run through here because we got Gary coming on in just a couple of minutes here. Um, so as I said, we're going to do our Joe Media rundown. In the pure stocks, Alex Stewart finished with a P3 and unfortunately DNF to second feature. Cameron Thompson got a P6 and P2. Caitlin Wallace, as we previously mentioned, got a P4 and a P5. Alan Lincoln up at uh, Sunset today was uh, subbing in for Madison Teen Camp. He came home with a P3. And the Superstocks, Brandon Feeney came home with P6. And the CVMs and the Canadian Vision Modifieds, Ricky Williger, DNF, unfortunately for the night. Scott Zanelli got a P6 times two for both features. Scott Arsenal got a P8 and DNF. Jay Pepin, P7 and P8. And Rob Twitchett, P9 for both. Um, that, that actually was kind of funny. Uh, I wish I got a picture of that. Um, Sorry, I'm just talking. Mm-hmm. Just messaging uh, Gary here. Um, what was hysterical though is Rob actually put a piece of painter's tape in front of uh, Connor Ross's name and it said "Not Connor Ross." <laughs> I wish I got a picture of that now, but it was uh, it was it was pretty funny. Um, so before we're gonna bring in Gary, we're gonna finish off our uh, mental health chat here. And uh, we'll probably get through it, and then uh, we'll talk. We'll we'll circle back after our interview with uh, Gary. 
and uh, we'll cover whatever else we need to cover and, and talk about what else we have, whatever, if we have questions or whatever, and we'll go from there. Uh, so guys, this is week three of our mental health chat. Uh, this is actually mental health week. So what, what a better way to, to finish it off than, uh, than to do it this way. So my, my story is going to sound a lot different than Caitlin and Megan's. I don't necessarily battle with mental health, but I do battle with small bouts of depression that usually only lasts a short while, but I'm the kind of person that doesn't show it. And no one really knows unless you're really close to me. Over the many years, I've seen people I love struggle with their mental illness, and it's a tough feeling sitting there seeing them struggle and sometimes not be able to help them. I've always been the person people can count on to sit down and talk to with because I, even though I may not understand what someone is going through, doesn't mean I can't be there for them in their time of need. I've struggled through my own stuff for a long time for me, and I've buried it down and made myself so busy that it's hard for me to, for it's hard to surface, which is why I have, you know, the CVMs, Jomo Media. Sobel Speedway, whatever else I can do to fill my time, that's that's what I do. Um, but when it but when it does surface, I usually shut down for a day or two. Don't really talk to anyone. Um, usually, I just need a good drive, good music, and that's pretty much how I get through. I don't usually talk about it because I felt alone a lot of the time. Uh, I only have a few friends, and I don't want to push them away by talking about my struggles. Uh, and I don't want to burn them. So that's the, I don't want to burn the people I love. And a lot of that feeling is from my mom passed away in June of 2011 to cancer. Uh, I was looking up for my brother and sister, making sure that everyone was focused on them, making sure they were taken care of. And no one, even when people asked if I was okay, I just shrugged it off and said like, no, I'm good. Like go check on my brother, and my sister, because for me, that was, I being 18, I was done school. Uh, my mom always told me pretty much almost be like a Superman, just like, don't let anything get to you. So that's always the way I've been. And I know for saying that I'm going against what I'm preaching, but just because I don't practice what I preach doesn't mean others can't learn from what I did and don't be afraid to come forward and talk. And mental health is more than just one person's experience. And for everyone suffering, just know there's always someone willing to listen. No one should feel like they need to be silent. Luckily, last year in 2021, I got a chance to have this essentially a weird interaction with an, an amazing human being, Jory Elliott uh, from Lift the Visor. And it was great timing, actually, because I kind of was going through something, but again, didn't never talked about it and don't really talk about it. And uh, from the first messages Jory and I exchanged to having him as a guest on the podcast, and talk about his experience, why he started Lift the Visor. He ended up teaching me a lot about mental health and that a lot of people go through it and we all need a hand, helping hand from time to time. Uh, so to finish this out, let's just uh, let's just be kind of one another as none of us know what others maybe struggle with. And uh, so that's that's my that's my backstory. That's my little chat. And that's what it means to me. But we're going to change gears here for a quick minute. And uh, we're going to wrap this up real quick. Um, we're going to finish this up and we'll, we'll add more afterwards. So this year at the beginning of the year, I decided that we were going to do a Jomo media mental health playlist and get it out on Spotify. So that way we can add songs. You guys can add songs. Let me know what songs we can add and let's get a playlist together of songs that mean something to us. So 
these songs all have meanings, hidden meanings, or are just generally about mental health. And they can be related to anyone battling. And my personal favorite is Unwell by Matchbox 20. There's been many times I've sang that song out loud and cried during the bridge. Because I think back to my mom and how she said that was her song for me. And it hurts not having my mom around. And But it helps me stronger because of it. Because I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm just a little unwell. I know right now you can't tell. If anyone wants to download the playlist, it's called the Jomo Media Mental Health Playlist. If you have songs you can think of, we should add, let us know. So that's that's what we got going on right now. But we're going to get Gary in here in just a minute. And then Megan and I, we're going to go back over this. I kind of just brushed through it. I'm sorry, guys, but we're going we're gonna to go back to it in just a little bit here. All right, guys, this week on the True North Racing Podcast, I'm excited to be bringing on this one. Uh, the Ironman Gary Elliott is joining us here. Gary, how's it going? Very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. No problem. Thank you for joining us. Um, My pleasure. So I've, I've been around you and your team. Oh, when I first started going around David about 2007 end of 2007 into, into 2008. So I got to work out of the steam shop as you down in water down. Um, I've seen how far you guys have come, how both you and David have raced. And uh, I, I want to get this out, out, of, out in the open first. I'm so thankful to have known your son uh, so, and watch him race against you. And to me, this is actually a dream come true, first of all. So again, like, I want to say thank you again, Gary. Yeah, thank you. So we're going to jump all the way back here. I, I want to get I – I'm just going to start right into this. You <laughs> – You've started racing a lot longer than either Megan and myself have uh, have been around. You you're racing in your fifty fourth year this year, I believe it is. This is fifty four. Yeah, I started in nineteen sixty nine. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, we none of us were even thought of yet. We <laughs> our our <laughs> parents were still just kids at the time, and so you you started getting racing in nineteen sixty nine, and you started out in what was then. I believe the mini stocks, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Speedway. What was your first car? Cause this is going to, I think, blow a few people's minds. My first car was a Volkswagen and I just liked the Volkswagen because they were more like a coupe. Uh, I always loved watching uh, hobby cars at the CNE and Flamborough Speedway. And so I couldn't afford a late model back in the sixties, late sixties. I didn't have a garage. I didn't have a shop. I didn't have a trailer. I didn't even have anything to tow it with. So the easiest thing to race was a Volkswagen at Cayuga. Then I could tow it with my car. So that's how I got started in that. Now, if I remember correctly, going back through your website, you had a very interesting first night of racing, if I'm not mistaken, heading out to Cayuga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that... what happened there? Okay. So, I pull into the pits, which is basically the same almost as it is now. And then I was the first one there. And this huge track that, you know, that I didn't know anything about. So as I pulled into the gate, I seen like a big gap between the, the back straightaway wall and to the right of me was like some, some grass. So I just towed my car in to the right. So I was on the other side of the wall. So I drove all the way around. And when I came just about to turn four, I ran into uh, a fence because that was not 
where you go into the pits. That was, I was stuck on the outside. Bob Slack was standing up on top of the tower and he seen me and I was, had the, had a 64 Dodge and I, my wife and I were together and I was going to try to back up uh, a car on a tow bar and I jackknifed it. And then I pulled ahead and I jackknifed it again. I pulled ahead. So Bob Slack said, seems like you're having a bit of trouble here. First of all, trying to find how to get in the track. And secondly, getting your car backed up. I said, I never backed one of these up before. So anyway, he said, I'll come down and help you. So anyway, that was my first day at the track. I went around the outside, like if you go to any racetrack, it's got a wall all around it. I went between the wall and the big fence and I come around almost to the grandstand. I, I, I said, so I said, what a stupid way to get into the pits, <laughs> but there was no way to get in. It was over. It was, uh, yeah. So that was pretty funny. That was my first time ever at a racetrack at Cayuga. So, uh, that, see, that's already, a, that's a way to start a career. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um, I want to jump even further back now because the, the one thing I want to talk about is you were, how old were you when you first started going to the racetrack? I'm uh, probably five years old. Uh, my dad used to take us to Pinecrest Speedway and there was a track in Toronto. I think it was at Oakwood and St. Clair and it was called Oakwood stadium. And they ran the jalopies there. And I had a book that I had, I, I gave a guy, it was a scrapbook. I gave a guy that it was going to fix the pages and he just kept the book. He never gave it back to me, oh. but it had pictures of that track with, with actually homes above it. You could see homes on the hill, like a residential. So it was like the size of a football field and uh, like a track where kids would do track and field, but it was a dirt track. So we would go there and watch those races. That one. And that just got me so pumped up when I was a kid. Absolutely. Well, and I know, again, I, I've, I want to say I've, I've studied your career, but it's a lot of it has just been reading off your website. And whenever I feel like, you know, I want to learn something new about racing, I just go over to Gary's website. And because over there you have so much history. Where did the number 36 come from? That's a great question. So I'll show you right now where it came from. Um, this guy right here, if you can see. Sure. Number 36. He was my favorite driver when I was a kid. That's him there. Can you see that? Yep. That's him there. 1966 Flambrough Speedway Super Modified Champion. So I would go there every, every weekend. I'd go and watch the races. I'd be around 17 years old. Eight. Uh, uh, let's see. 1966, I would be almost 19. And uh, he was my favorite driver by far. So in 1972, when I bought my first hobby car, so I painted my, my Volkswagen was number 36. And then when I, when I went to hobby cars, uh, they had like at that time, they had about 100 members. So I asked for 36 and they said it was taken. But then they said the guy didn't sign up again. So I got number 36. So when the uh, the friend of mine was lettering my car. So they asked me, they said, so what number are you going to be? I said, 36 for sure. So in other words, 36 for certain, but he said, Oh, 36 for sure. He said, I got an idea. So he put this on the hood of the car. If you can see that. You just got to go a little bit lower. Yeah. Right there. 36 for sure. And it's on every, every one of my uh, cars. 
That's that's 2015, 13, sorry. Did you, can you see that there? Yep. Yeah, so every hood since 1972 has had on the front of it 36 for sure. And so he was just my hero as a kid. And uh, I really, I really just loved watching him race. He raced so hard and I'd watch him. He'd go so deep on the outside. And that was my inspiration. So I got to meet his family. And in 1977, we were at Cayuga Speedway for their first Canadian uh, long weekend. It was like this, this weekend, 1977. And Glenn wife come up to me or up to the pits and said, who's, who's the guy that drives 36? And then I said, I do. And she's seen that thing on the hood. And she really, really, he had passed away then. So anyway, so in 1989, like 12 years later, I won, I won the championship in the hobby club. And she brought this letter to the banquet. She gave it to me and she gave me Glenn Schur's 1966 trophy. And she put, it says, Flamborough Speedway Track Champion number 36, 1966, Glenn Sure, 1989, Gary Elliott. Oh, wow. So th that's really cool. So I'm, I, I've been really, I'm usually really dedicated to what I like in racing. I always have been. And um, I've come to believe that you can make any color look good if you do the right combination. Like, I, I never like red cars, but I've seen lots of red cars now. Guys do some nice stuff with them, and they look really good. Guy down here runs a red car, Cole Butcher. And he's one of the best stock car drivers in Canada. And uh, his car always looks great. And it's so simple. It's red with white numbers and the car looks really good. So, but anyway, I, I've had red and white cars. So in 19, uh, in the hobby club, I had red and white cars in 1984 and 85. And then in 1985, I painted my car just like Bill Elliott's Coors car. And uh, it was pretty cool. I called Coors up and I said, Hey, I'm painting my car the same as Bill Elliott. He said, yeah. And I'm talking to the marketing manager in 1985. I said, well, what can you give me? He said, well, I can't give you anything. I said, well, but I painted my car the same color as Bill Elliott's. And it's, and it's, uh, so I'll just show you a quick picture. Can you see that one? Yep. Well, that says number 36. So when Bill Lyons retired from the hobby club, I used the number nine in 1985 and i don't know if you can see that tell me if you can see that nine yep okay so i painted it nine it looked identical to his car except it was a coupe so and ironically so that 1985 was my 74 was actually my 12th year with the hobby club and it was the first year i won best appearing car so my first best appearing car award i won it once in 19 69 and the at Cayuga in the Volkswagen and then I won it with that car 11 years later <laughs> well not 11 years later uh 16 years later and that was my first best appearing car award for, uh, in the hobby club and so and, and I you won plenty of those in the hobby club I, and I I don't that's that's the only year that I ran number nine for a full season uh, as my own car but just to jump ahead a bit, in 2009, I had two late models. So I ran one full-time at Delaware, and that was number nine. Mm -hmm. And then I ran my other 36 at Flamborough Speedway. I, re I remember that deal because you had, 
you ran you ran the nine car Friday nights at Delaware. We were running with David. David was running Friday nights at Delaware as well. And then uh, Saturdays, the car would be switched over, and then you guys ended up having a secondary driver. Um, and I, I remember for a few nights, I can't remember how many nights, if he ran a full season or not, but um, you, you guys did have a second driver. So you guys ended up having two cars at Flamborough. I think for most nights, yeah. am I right? Yeah, I I ran I ran the thirty six, and uh, I can't think of his name right now, but he drove the nine, but he only did for about five or six races. Yeah, and then he I, just couldn't commit anymore. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember who it was. I can't remember the guy's name either, and that's and that's frustrating for me because I was around. The, I was that was like the prime time I was around you guys, and uh, I, I remember it was a a drag racer. Oh no way! It was, a, it was a drag racer, I believe that, because they, they, I think you guys were saying that at the end of turn, at the, at the end of the straightaway, you got to put a sign that says "turn left now" or something like that. Yeah, I remember, I remember overhearing that uh, over the times when we were out there working on the car. Um, but you spent how many years were you were you with the CVMs? Thirty three. Thirty three years, and you were a, you were a. a I believe you were a president of the club for as well for a number of years. Were you not? Yeah. I was seven years. I was president and, uh, and then another 20 years on the committee. So I always, I worked hard on the hobby club. Always. Um, I, uh, I, I loved that. I loved that series. And it was hard because when I first became president the first year, I used to park my car in a different place every week so that nobody would ever think I had any uh, favorites or anything. Yeah, I'm just gonna show you a picture right now, if I can, of of that car, and if I if I could, it'll just take me a second here to yeah, find no it. Yeah, no worries. Um, so here's the Delaware. Uh, just tell me if you see that car. Yep. Okay, so that's it. That's my number nine car that I ran at Delaware on Friday nights, and uh, yeah, it was it was fun. Um, I had a good time, uh, running it. There's me and David and the nine car at Flamborough. Yeah. So, oh, Jeff, Jeff, uh, oh, I just can't think of his last name, but anyway, I, I should, I should know it, but anyway, he, him and I, we, he, he only came on Saturdays and, uh, we raced, but he, he, he kept maintained the car. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, that was, that was always a lot of fun. And, you know, you, you had, you've had a lot of success. I got your, uh, uh, your stat sheet up here because it, to me, it's remarkable. There, there's a reason why we call you know, a lot of people call you Canada's Iron Man. You have 859 consecutive nights since yeah. 1987. Like, that that's a lot of time and a lot of dedication to this craft. You know, you've won two championships over 1300 nights. You know, I, I'm, I'm 40 feature wins, 46 different tracks, 260 wins overall. Yeah. 19 feature wins since turning 50. <laughs> that was pretty like good. that. To, that's just a stat. Like, I don't care who you are. <laughs> that That's a remarkable stat. Like, they always talk about the oldest winner in NASCAR. Let, let, let's turn the page and let's look at Gary Elliott here for a second. Because 
I'm just like looking at this and, and, and the series you've raced in, the demolition derbies, the mini stocks, the CVMs, limited late malls, pro late malls, the Oscar modifieds. You, there's nothing you haven't really raced and not raced. And, and you've put your heart and soul into the sport for 55, 54 years now. You know, it, 44 complete seasons. I, I completely missed over that stat because that's that's already right there. A remarkable, uh, remarkable feat, in my opinion. What really drives you each year to get back out onto the track? So every year, except I've been sick the last few weeks. I had uh, my birthday was April 14th. And for some, I don't know what happened. I got food poisoning. And then I never really recovered for about three weeks. So, but I was pretty good. So I was kind of worried about opening day for this weekend because usually I'm I'm in good shape and I can't wait to get going. And uh, and I just bought this machine. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, maybe if I turn this right there. Yep. You know what that is? No. Bowflex. Oh. So somebody said to me, he said, how are you going to make your car go faster this year? What are you going to do to it? I said, nothing. The car's already fast and the driver needs to be faster. He said, well, how are you going to do that? I said, because I bought a Bowflex machine, so I'm going to just try to be stronger and be able to last longer. So that was uh, that was the reason for that. So I was fortunate that I got that sponsored to me by the Canadian Tire Store in Truro, Nova Scotia. Oh, wow. Yeah, so last year he sponsored me a couple of impact guns. And this year, he, he well, that's still money. I didn't get money from him, but I got that, and that's good. I, I was really happy to have that. And I've used it about 20 times and then I got sick and I didn't use it anymore after I got sick. So I I'll go back on it this week. That's, that's you know, that's even better. You got to get, you're definitely getting on that uh, Mark Martin uh, regiment there. Trying to get that Mark Martin physique out there. eh? <laughs> the what Mark Martin, what the Mark Martin physique. Oh <laughs> yeah. You guys are yeah, 50 years old shape. and you're still think- ripped. Like, yeah, but you've well, been that's not me, but I'm not. But yeah. uh, you know what? I uh, it's really arms and shoulders and chest and then breathing. So yeah. if you run out of oxygen, like if you're if your lungs can't keep up with because that's a lot of work. You know, when somebody somebody asked me a few years ago if I went to the gym, I said, yeah, every Saturday night when I go racing, because especially in like in, in Ontario, it wasn't as as grueling because Flamborough had twin 35s for late models. Yep. And the hobby clubs had one heat and then one feature. So, and the feature was 25 laps and the heat was 10, but then I was in my thirties and forties. So I didn't need to work out because I had enough energy inside of me just that I didn't need to work out. But then when I come down here, every single race is minimum 150 laps. So it's, it's grueling, like, and they're fast tracks, and all these kids. I'm ra- racing against people from, I don't know, twenty. I don't know if there. I don't know if there's anybody over fifty. There might be, but oh, most wow. of them are most of them are fifty years younger than me, and some of the other ones are probably twenty, twenty-five years younger than me. Oh wow, that's just that's so remarkable, though. Um, now, yeah, well, I can't find a series with anybody, everybody over seventy-five or seventy-five and up. <laughs> because they're usually all hung up by then and uh and and relaxing oh, yeah, they're whereas, yeah they're watching 
They're not, yeah. they, they do, they used to race and they used to do, there's a lot of guys down here that race for years and uh, you know, they love the sport, but they, they give me, they give me encouragement. I kind of complained a bit. I say, well, I can't keep up. So just for an example, on the weekend, we raced yesterday. The fastest car were 15 high twos. And I would, my best time is 15, five, three, and they were 15, two, eight. So not, you know, it's, that's not enough to keep up because if you, yeah. you know, after 40 laps, you're, you know, 12 seconds behind, but that's still pretty good. So I want to find out if them kids now, I, I might not be able to be around to find out, but I'd like to know when they're 75, if they can turn a 14, five. <laughs> well, we gotta see if that you gotta see if someone is willing to do that, right? Because that's yeah, I know. I told them NASA is gonna freeze me and then bring me back out when they're all seventy five, <laughs> and I'll race against them then. <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> I'm sure you'd still be able to get that thing around the track, no issues. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. So I, I'm gonna bring it back again to your CVM days because someone like myself, I'm I'm part of the Canadian modifieds. Now I'm, I'm their media guy. So for myself, that's, that's such a big, big, big part of me. Um, I love the division. I love that the, your history in the club, what has been some of your best memories from racing with the CVMs? Well, I never, I didn't win any races my first year in 72. In fact, my first night out, I stuffed it in the fence and, I didn't know how to work on them cars. I didn't understand what to do. And uh, we got the car home. I remember I didn't have a garage. Yep. So I, so my family, we moved, my wife and my, my two kids, we moved to an apartment building in uh, Jane Street in Toronto. So my, my trailer was out on the parking lot and on my hobby car was on it. So so I parked my car. I was allowed to park my car down underground parking, my, my vehicle I drive in the street. So when I went down in the underground, I thought, holy cow, this is perfect. Like, this is a great place to work on your car. So I brought my car down in the trailer, brought it down underground parking, backed it up into a, a spot where it was clear of everybody. Yep. That lasted for about four days. And then the superintendent come up to me and he said, Elliot, what are you doing with that car underground parking? And I said to him, I said, well, how am I supposed to work on it? He said, I don't care how you work on it. He said, don't get it out of there right now. He said, are you going to, we're going to, we're going to have to take some measures with you living here anyway. So I moved it from there outside and it, it stayed outside for most all of 72. I had to work on my car on a trailer. And then in 1973, I finally bought a home with an old, old uh, garage, wooden garage, uh, used to be a horse garage. It was built in two, 1911. Oh, wow. The house and the driveway. So if you measured from the side of the house to the edge of the driveway, it was 25 feet. So that was the whole house and it was hundred feet long. I couldn't even get my driveway up or my trailer up the driveway. I'd, I could get my car up there, but that was it. So that, that was, those were the struggles I had in the early days. And then so in 72 and 73, I, I, I just loved the, the hobby cars. They became, they changed the names Canadian Vintage Modifieds later. But then, then in 1974, 
So I was helping them. I was getting them sponsors and they were called, uh, like I got sponsors for every heat race. And if I can find one plaque, which I might have, but anyway, they were called Hillmac Awards because I was working for a company called Hillmac Trucking. And, uh, oh, here they are right here. I think this is it. So see this? Yep. So I got, I got my company to sponsor those awards. And uh, so Bill Lyons said to me one day when I was walking through the pits, because he knew I was really cared about helping anything I could do. And he said, how would you like a sponsor? I said, sure, for definitely I'd like a sponsor. He said, call this number. So I called it and it was Quaker State. So I talked to the, the marketing guy. I said, okay. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, uh, give me your name and address and I'll send you a package and we'll tell you where to go and pick up four cases of oil. I was so excited. Like you would have thought I just got $40,000, you know, like it was unbelievable. So that was my first uh, Quaker State experience. And that was through Bill Lyons, the president of the hobby club. Oh, wow. So then in, in 74, so he was president. And then 75, 76, 77, things were, uh, you know, for me, were pretty well the same. We ran anywhere from 24 to 30 nights. Sometimes we ran more nights. And then in 1985, uh, no, it was actually 1984, uh, the, the person who was president at that time, Harry Nicholson, he stepped down and he was president for about 11 years. So guys asked me to run for president because I just knew how much I loved the car. And that's like 11 years after Bill Lyons had given me the Quaker state thing. So anyway, so I did. And I thought there was a lot of, uh, at that time with the hobby club, there was a lot of uh, rumbling and a lot of things, a lot of issues that weren't, weren't good. So I figured what we needed to do is to bring the club back together. So I started in October after, well, actually maybe more like November, December, after I got nominated and became president, I, I organized the first East Coast, the first and only East Coast tour. So 16 hobby cars went to Arusa County Speedway in Maine, uh, Riverside in Nova Scotia, River Glade in New Brunswick and Hammond River in New Brunswick. And then we came home. So we had to go for two weeks and everybody did it. And uh, what I'd asked the tracks for was, uh, I think I asked them for $1,500 uh, was the purse. And we just spent, we just split the purse evenly. Oh, wow. So every, everybody got a hundred dollars, but gas back then was cheap and things were cheaper. So, Everybody got the same person. Then Quaker State and, and uh, Flamborough Speedway put up a points fund of $500. And then, so that was where the guy that won the points would make more money. So Ronnie Shaw won the points yeah. that year. Yeah, so he was a points. I think I finished fifth. And, uh, but that was, a, that was crazy because we were all, we raced at Flamborough on the Saturday night. And then we all come out on the Flamborough Speedway at the end of our feature. We went around the track and stopped at the start finish line and John Caselli gave us all something. I can't remember what he gave us. And he gave, and there was a guy from Quaker state there gave everybody a case of oil. And then we drove off the track and the announcer said, these guys are heading to Nova Scotia for two weeks. So anyway, we went, we went and it was, it was quite an experience, but it, it was, it was, it was really fun. And I was present for that. And then in 85, 
I thought, well, that worked good. So then I started calling Michigan and we ended up going to uh, Kalamazoo. Uh, we went to, oh, the other big one there. Um, Berlin? Uh, what, what was it? Berlin? Berlin. We went to Berlin. We also went to uh, uh, Galesburg Speedway. Uh, there, was, there was three or four we went to. We went to M90 one year. We went to uh, the track in Michigan in uh, uh, near Ham, uh, near, oh, Gary. I should know this anyway. I do know it. I just can't think of it right now. But anyway, we, we ran about seven or eight different tracks down there. So, and we ran, I think we ran Kalamazoo for about 10 years straight. And everybody loved it. We'd go down, we'd leave Friday. And we, or we probably, some guys left Thursday to get a hotel room. We raced Friday night at Kalamazoo and Saturday at Berlin. Yeah. So yeah, it was really good. It was a lot of fun. It was about a six hour drive. Yeah. It definitely sounds like it. Because they thought at first when we went down that we were like just a show series. Yeah. They thought, you know, they're going to go out and just go drive around and, and they're beautiful looking coops and coaches. And then when they seen us racing so hard, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. So that was really, that was great. You, even today, those, those guys and gals in the, in the club still put on, they're not out there to, uh, to just have fun and make some laps. They're out there competing and, yeah, you know, to still see the club exactly like obviously with a bunch of changes since then. Um, it's still great to see that even back then, the drive for the drivers was there and it's continued on all these years. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a great club and it's got, I think it started 1966. Yep. Or six, 66. They, after the CNE closed, so they formed a club and I joined them in 72 and in 72, the car count was pretty bad and Flamborough Speedway had closed uh, Rocco DiCarlo owned Flamborough Speedway and he owned uh, Pinecrest. Okay. So he closed Flamborough. John Caselli and Frank Caselli bought it and they opened it in 73. Okay. So then we, we, we naturally, we came to him and John and John, that's whenever I got those plaques for the heat winners. They weren't for feature. Oh, well, there might've been one for each, but they were heat mostly for heats. Yeah. And of course, you know, nowadays it's, we, uh, so sliding forward like that's 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 a history of part of the club i had no clue about and you know now being on the side of the committee and and seeing the process it takes even back then you guys would put in a lot of work and time and effort to you know make the drivers feel special even you know just having a plaque for a heat win because that's some guys may not get a feature win but you know if they get the they get a heat win right that's exactly the purpose and the reason for doing that because a lot of guys couldn't win a feature and we did it different than what they do today. And back then, so let's say there was 24 cars, yep. there'd be eight cars in the first heat, eight in the second heat, eight in the third heat. So they would qualify seven out of each heat. So seven out of the first, so that's 21 and they would run a concy. If they, let's say they had 28 cars, they would run a concy. And they would still run a concy anyway. And then the last three would go to the back. Okay. So, and the lineup was always done 
two ways, either average of money or, or where your average points were. So if you were leading the points, more than likely you were starting 20th. Yeah. Every, every week. I, in uh, 1988, 89, and through the 90s, a lot of times I was starting mid-pack or at the back. But the year that I was leading the points in 89, I started at the back quite a bit. And that gave us a chance to, to win an award that was given out for passing the most cars. Because if you're, if, you're, if you're one of the top runners and you're starting 20th every week, and uh, you know you you have the likely be able to, but it put on a way better show, with and the guys up front in the first heat that gave them an opportunity to win a feature, because they would the first heat cars would never win a feature if they had to start at the back. Yeah. So you know where they do it today, all the fast cars are up front. But I asked a promoter one time in 2013. I said, "How come you start all the, all the." top cars at the front how come they don't have to go to the back he said because i'm not wrecking fifty thousand dollar race cars so if i asked him that same question today and he had that same answer he'd say because i'm not wrecking one hundred twenty thousand dollar race cars yeah so that that's the hobby club is really good They're, they were by far the the best back backup show at flamborough speedway ever and um so now that john carly's doing a great job he's trying to get them back up again uh He's making a few changes to get guys to, you know, to do more things with their cars. But obviously the most important thing is, is uh, car count. That's, that's the most important thing to any promoter. Be honest with you. He doesn't care who wins. A promoter doesn't care what kind of finish you have. But if you have 24 cars, that means number one, his back gate is going to be decent because each one will have two or three or five pit crew. But, and then the other thing is he's going to have something to show his fans. And if you put on a good show, then man, oh man, then you get back, you'll come back like to that track. You'll, you'll be back there because, and sometimes they can't get you because the hobby club Flamborough Speedway back in the early eighties and throughout the eighties, they wouldn't give us any, any weekends off. Like they said, Nope, you're gonna, you'll always be here every, every Saturday. And, um, so we could go to Delaware on a Friday and on long weekends, we could go to Barry or Sauble yeah. or, you know, one of the other tracks, but yeah, but you know what? I understand that because we were his money and his late models only had eight cars. Yeah. So, right. So you're not going to let a, a 20, you don't want a 24 to 30. And I think in 1977, there was one night when we had 49 hobby cars in 1977 at the track, it was the highest ever. Most of the times we had 35 to 40 cars. So they developed what they called a little feature. So the top 24, 21 cars would go in the A feature. And then whatever, whoever's left over would go in the B feature. And you had to win the B feature to qualify for the A feature next week. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was, that was back whenever there was lots of cars and, you know, the, the racing was good. The only thing that really made, it tough back then was those inline sixes because we just kept screaming them and screaming them and screaming them until, and they would explode. Yep. I have a picture of a, in 19, I think it would be 1977 at, at that house that I, I, we bought in 1973. One of my guys is helping me. We got, we had to pull the engine out and this inline is laying on the ground. And uh, the, the quote was suicide bomber. <laughs> these engines just explode all the time you know it's just uh 
and and there's not everybody engines blew up but somebody asked me how much i spent in the hobby club in the 33 years that i was with them i said well i bet you i spent one hundred fifty thousand dollars on engines yeah so that's easy five thousand a year and then by the mid early 2000s i was spending a lot more than that on an engine more like eight or nine thousand and by 2017 I think they were, they're spending around. Well, now that they've gone to the crate, which is the smartest thing, the 602 crate, that's by far the smartest thing to do. But there's guys that still want to run an inline. So you know what? They, you don't want to stop them from doing that. Absolutely. You know, we, Mike Pod is still in the club. He's still yeah. raising. He he yeah. still runs an inline six. Um, yeah. Oh, crap. What's uh, Jim Swears? His old car is still out there running an inline six. Yeah um doug hood was out last year he had inline six mike clot still has an inline six yeah there's still a a, blew up last year which one doug hood yeah he blew up at the um epc series race that we were were involved in last year i i i felt so bad for the hobby club they they didn't have that many cars and the one when dougie blew that motor it it took out like four cars but that's what it did all the time like you know, I and back in the 70s when we set early 70s, mid 70s, when we'd have a full field of cars, and I usually like I might start midway, depends where if I didn't qualify, I had to go through the concert, I'd be at the back. But all I was doing, I learned to watch six or seven cars ahead. And the reason why is because you were looking for that puff of smoke, because you knew if somebody blew up, there was going to be 10 of us were going to be angle parking into the cement wall at about 70 miles an hour. So that's, that's just the way it was. Somebody would explode an inline and we'd all go flying into the fence, sideways, backwards, doing, doing, you know, three, three sixties as we're going down the track, just to slam into the fence. Oh, wow. But that's, that was, that was the inline. That was, uh, it was, uh, Somebody asked me about the inline one time and I said, I put an egg timer on my dash and just hope it doesn't blow up. Yeah. Cause those, those motors, you know, nowadays they're just, like you said, even back then they're, they're just grenades. And oh, yeah, luckily sure. we have a lot of guys who moved over to, uh, um, over the to, uh, over, yeah. Over to the 602, which is yeah, like you said, the, the best decision they ever made. And you know, you, uh, I believe you were one of the first cars to go to the 602, right? I was, I was the first one that went to the 602. I went to the 602 in 2000 and 2009. So, uh, oh, I still can't think of Jeff. Oh, it's Lawson or I, I got the fellow that drove my car, the number nine car. Yeah. I wish I could remember his name, but anyway, so his, his brother, Jason, was going to drive uh oh lancaster yay finally <laughs> i knew it was l so so jeff lancaster drove my number nine at flambrough and jason lancaster drove my hobby car so that was the deal that i made with them so jason goes out on opening day 2009 and the motor blows up and it was rod right through the side of it yeah and uh it, it wasn't his fault it's just that happened so i went to the hobby club in 2009 and i asked him if i could run a crate motor 602 and they said no they said we're not going to allow any v8s they said and their reasoning was that will take away from the originality of the of the club well i argued with them no it won't 
the originality of the club is the body styles. That's 100% what people look at. They don't look at, they don't look at the engine, but, but the noise from an inline six at 7,200 RPM was wild. And I get that part a lot more than uh, a 602, but that, that revs at 6,300. So anyway, I, I, I finally, in 2011, I believe, or 12, they said yes to uh, a crate motor. So I put a crate motor in in 2010, I believe, or 11. And then I sold that car in 2014. 2013, I sold it. And I bought an Oscar modified in 2014. And you start, that's when you started uh, going back and forth between your, your pro late model and your, uh, and the Oscar modified, right? Yeah. So what I did, because I always wanted, like, I keep all my stats and you'll see, I have uh, at the end of last year, I have 44 seasons of hundred percent. So I had to pick which series I was going to run. Either it was going to be late model or it was going to be the touring series. So if I was going to run when I was running, when I ran the hobby car, and the late model, I had to decide in the in the off season, am I gonna run 100% with the hobby cars or 100% with the late model? So I ran 100% with the late model up and from 2005 to 2013. And then in 2014, when I got the modified, I loved it so much that I ran 100% with the Oscar modifieds. And then I ran the late model any night that, I, that was, wasn't a conflict. And there was some nights whenever we ran the modified at Flamborough that I ran both cars. Yeah, that and uh, uh, what year was it? I think it was 2017. Was it when you shared the ride with David? 2018, my 50th year. Yeah, yeah, right. David. Uh, yeah, and David, David and I, we we shared the ride with Flamborough Speedway, Flamborough Points. And hang on one sec. Um, I thought I, oh, I know I have, but I just, anyway, David, uh, I might have it over here. <clears throat> so David drove it, I drove it, we both, we both drove, uh, but I only could run it four times and he only wanted to run it four times, but that was enough to give us fourth and points so that was uh that was pretty good yeah, yeah i have I, a picture of him with that car but i just don't know where i got the i got i've kept all my autograph like i have so many autograph cards left over so i always keep them and when people ask for an autograph then i have something to give them the, the one thing i want to bring up right now because with you walking around we can we, megan and i can both see it is your shop is essentially just a huge museum. <laughs> it looks like to your, to, to your racing career. And, you know, I, I remember back at the shop in Waterdown, um, you had all the stuff upstairs up in the attic above the shop. And, you know, you've taken me up the, up there a couple of times and you just showed me around, showed me some stuff. And I'm like, man, like this is, this is so, so much cool stuff that you have from over the years of racing and, it's remarkable and I, I love seeing it. So anyone who's listening right now, you got to get over to our YouTube channel and just see it. Cause you guys can see and pick stuff out in the background. You know, I seen a hood from the last uh, Motorama show you were at. Um, I, I seen the last one. It looks like, uh, yeah. 
Actually, that's right. That's uh, that was <laughs> 2019. Yep. My last year at Flamborough. Yep. That's 2019. The one beside it is 2017 when I went to the IWK 250. Yeah. And this is the hood from David and I when David and I raced. That's that's my fiftieth. Wow. My fiftieth year. This is this is my fortieth year with Quaker State. Yep. So that was I when I was running the limited late model. And this is my 2008 at with uh, my 40th year. See, I remember oh, here, all these. Here's those awards right there. Hill Mac truck. That. Wow, then, that's awesome. And then Red Stallion took over and they and then uh, Arnold Roper, Oakville chiropractor. He took over and he started giving them as well. Wow. Yeah, so there's that, there's that car with the hood with the horses on it. Yep. So that's July 29th, July 26th, 2008. I, I, won, uh, I won the feature that night on my 40th night celebration. That I was, was just about to say, I oh. remember that night so well. There's David. Yep. With the late model. So he won the first feature at Flamborough that night. And... Um, that car is an old, older car. It's a 2008 Howe. I bought that from Chenoweth in 2011. And yeah. uh, so David, uh, David, David is absolutely, to me, it's a shame that he's not driving a car because if he had, like, he always drove 10-year-old, 12-year-old cars. And he, would, he was such a great racer. Like, he was really, really good. He won 14 championships in his career. And he won like over over sixty features, and that's, he did that in thirty years. I, that's I've been that's a guy I got to get on here. <laughs> yeah, no, he he's just absolutely amazing, and I felt so bad that he retired. But you know what? He's it's hard to show up with a car that's twelve years old racing against a fifteen year old with a hundred thousand dollar race car, and you know you're a better driver than most of them guys. And he was, and he didn't blame them. It wasn't you know that's not their an issue because they got, they got a brand new car, but, and he still would give them a run for their money. He finished fourth at Delaware, won three features that year in 2014 at Delaware Speedway. Yep. So, you know what he, he, I just, but he, you know, I feel what makes me really happy is that he retired and he's, he said, dad, I'm happy that I I'm done with, I'm done with it. Now I had a great career and, and he did surely he did. So I got this here bottom, row i don't know if you can see it but this bottom that's my grandkids and my daughter yeah so my daughter shirley she raced in 19 1992 can you see that picture there for yep and then that's my grandchildren her daughter that's her son yep that's them there they ran sunset they both won heats there that's lauren's go-kart front of her, her go-kart so i kept all that stuff too and i got both of their helmets from their go-kart days and then all this stuff here down here is all david's Jeez. this is all, this is crazy and then here this picture here i got to show you this picture so uh tell me when you can see it yeah i can see it just go so back to me the and right david a at Barry speedway uh 2002 coming off the last lap side by side <laughs> Jeez. So I was so excited. We didn't know who won. 
but I think he won, but I'm not, I can't remember, but I, anyway, I got out of the car anyway and got my picture with him. <laughs> hey, and you why never not? do that. The guy finishing second never gets out of his car, right? But the but, one thing is you always supported your kids when they wanted to go racing. You know, I, I remember, I, I, I wasn't around obviously for the CVM days, but I was around when um, Garrigan and Lauren were both starting out their go-karting stuff. And to see through your posts, because I, again, I, it was one of those things I wouldn't be able to come to the shop a lot. But when I did, um, we were always working on David's car because I came with Eddie. And, you know, it was, uh, I could tell through your posts how excited you were to have that racing legacy continue with, with Lauren and Garrick running go-karts at, at Flamborough and the WRKC. So to even see, to see that you still have that stuff today, that is such a cool thing for me to see because it still sh shows that you are very much proud of your children and your grandchildren's accomplishments in racing. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? And it is what it is. You know what? I, I know lots of guys that have, and I'm not going to mention any names because I'm not saying this in a negative way. But yep. there's a lot of kids that are racing with really, really the best of everything, including the haulers, including their trucks, including everything. And you know what? If I had have been very, very successful in what I was doing, I, I would have done exactly the same thing. I don't begrudge anybody for giving their kids the best. Like I got a 1,000 square foot shop, and I know guys are racing against me, and most of it's most of it's memorabilia, <laughs> but there is room to work on the car. But I know guys I'm racing against that got four times the size of this shop, maybe six times. And they got three hoists, they got four race cars and you know what? Good for them. And I just wish my kid could have got that chance. Like I wish, but it just, it, it was just too expensive. Like it just not every father or every grandfather or every, you know, every wife will allow the husband to go and buy, especially today, uh, a new car, today is probably 120,000. Oh yeah. And that's doesn't that's no spare parts, not not painted, not lettered. Uh down here they they sell the there's a there's a company that sells uh the Fury race cars, so yep. King Transport. They have a Fury race car division, and I believe those cars brand new. Turnkey is about 125,000. So, you know what? That's that's hard to do. You know, like an and if you made 100,000 a year, you, you only have about 45,000 to spend, you know, because you pay a lot of taxes and a lot of bills. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, it's good to see. And I, I love running against these kids. They're really, and they're really good too. <laughs> and they've been running since they were young. Some of them ran bandoleros and legends. So, and you know, they're not spoiled. They just happen to be, you know, they just happen to be in a family. Their family just happens to be, able to give them the best stuff that they can get. And that's somebody would say to me, well, if you were rich, would you, would you give your kids something? Of course I would. And especially with, you know, my kids, like my daughter, she ran, she was the first full-time lady driver in the hobby club in 1992. Up until then there hadn't been a girl that raced full-time and she did the, she did good. She was running our third car. So, and then David, you know, I mean, he just, from 88 till 94 he kind of struggled a bit but then 
you know, then in 1994, he went, or 1990s, he, he actually retired in 1995. Yeah. Because he just, you know, it just, it was just too hard for him. And then in 1996, uh, Steve Lyons' car came for sale. So uh, David was able to get a really good sponsor called Black Box, bought that car and won the championship that year. That was 1990, uh, 1996. And then 10 years later in 2006, he bought a late model in 2005 and in 2006, he won the late model championship because he got Lucas for a sponsor. Yeah. So, and you know what? You can't race without money. It's just, it doesn't make any difference. So, and when I say that, I don't mean you can't race a four funder. You can't race, uh, you know, like, but even some mini stocks are pretty expensive. You know, it's just, it's just not a cheap sport. Those ones that you run, um, they call them for fun. They're basically, you can't do anything to them. Yep. So there's probably, that's probably the cheapest class that you could race. But my son, my son, he is definitely one of the best racers at Flamborough Speedway and all the guys that raced against him knew it. And he, oh, yeah. and he had a really good success. So funny you mentioned the, the four fun series because uh, Megan Mitchell here, she's actually, she runs the pure stock in, uh, she runs in the pure stock division at Flamborough Speedway, which is exactly the same as the, the yeah, fun that's stock right. stuff. Yeah. I was trying to think of that. Yeah. Pure stock is the same thing. So Megan over here, she, she's able to run it, you know, last year she started off with what, no sponsors. Right. And then mm. in July, she ends up, uh, she won a feature at the end of, at, on the July 31st night. And, uh, she actually ended up. You end of that week or that night or something, you end up getting a sponsor from uh, you got three sponsors that night, right? And oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and how, how much does that help? Oh, a lot. That's, I mean, yeah. I mean, right now, I, I can't compete because there's guys and girls out there rebuilding their engines and you need money to do that. So, yeah, it's you need money for the sport. It's hard. So, just a tip for that, like for when it comes to finding sponsors, then the first one of the easiest ways is to tap into your family. I don't mean your mom and dad, but your uncles and aunts and, and cousins mm -hmm. that and anybody that owns a business because it's a taxable write-off. And if you went out and you decided to register yourself as a business, you could go and get for 80 bucks or something. You could get just whatever your race team you want to call it. Mine is Gary Elliott Motorsports. So I registered a business. And when you register a business, you get an HST number. So then if somebody says, well, I can sponsor you $500. So you can give them an invoice for 500 plus HST. And at the end of the year, you claim that what they gave you, but then you also, because you have a business, you can, you, you keep track of all your expenses. So your gas and your tires. And if you buy pit crew dinner or whatever, you pay people's way in, you keep track of all of that. So I do that now. So I run mine as a business. I have, even though, you know, I, and I do pretty good. Like if I told people what I'm running on for sponsors now, they'd be shocked. They'd say, holy cow, how, how can you do that? But I don't, I can't compete. When I say I can't compete anymore, I don't try to go and run at the front anymore. Like I did, you know, seven or eight years ago, you know, and I could run at the front, but it's just so hard now. It's, it's really hard. Plus the more you beat up your car, the more, that taxes all your, your, your crew. They got to come over more. And where I live in Nova Scotia, most of my crew are at least 45 minutes away. So it's not like when we were in Waterdown where there's a few of them that live within 10 minutes away or 15 minutes. 
So they're like 45 minutes to an hour away. So when they come, so we pick one night a week to work on the cart and I make a list and we make sure we get it done. And then I, I, I buy pizza. So, and I keep the receipt. So that, that's, that's just a way to, because years ago, we used to work on the car every night of the week and we didn't get nothing done three or four of the nights because we'd be drinking beer or whatever, telling jokes or just acting stupid. So then once I realized later on, I thought, you know what? So we have, a, you know, when they come in, we have small talk and stuff. And now 100%, here's the list, guys. Let's get this done. So Chris, you can change the gears. And Alex, we won't do a nut and bolt. And uh, Jack, do this. And Bob, let's work on the body and fix that. And make sure all make sure all the sponsor logos are in good shape so that we don't have an issue where one day a sponsor brings his family to the races, say, hey, I'm sponsoring a car there. And the week before, somebody rubbed the tire on the back panel and it took the guy's name off. So the, the driver, the owner of the car, decides, well, they don't give me that much, so I'm not going to worry about going and spending $15 on a sticker. So guess what? The guy who comes brings his kids. Hey, Daddy, where's your name? Well, I don't know. It was on there two weeks ago, so it's not there now. All of a sudden now, when you go back to them at the end of the year and say, hey, uh, would, you, would you be with me again in you know 2023? And the guy said, no. No, thank you. He might be kind. And just say, no, I'm, I, I'm not going to be able to do that this year. Or he might just tell you why. He might say, well, I went to my place one night and my sticker was ripped off your car. And it wasn't ripped off halfway through the night. It was ripped off before you even started racing. It wasn't even on there in the warm-ups. So that's just small tips anyway. But if you message me later, I'll send you uh, something. I sent another uh, racer how to get sponsors and how to keep them. And you can maybe use that for yourself to to try to get some because if we look after sponsors and I do, I just did a show on Friday at Canadian tire. And uh, I don't know if you go on my Facebook page and you look down, I put a bunch of pictures there, but I'm going to do four shows there. So, and think about it. Could they sell Quaker state? They sell Permatex. They sell other stuff. So my sponsors all get that same exposure, not just one, all of them. And um, so then you offer to do a show at their place. It depends what their business is. So if they don't have a place for you to do that, that's fine. You just offer. But then, you know, there's, and then you can go on social media and you can put their logo on and say special thanks to whatever Connor's nursery, you know, for supplying us with gas money to go to the races. And, and you don't always need money. Uh, they can give you parts or they can give you paint or they can give you tires. They might say, well, I'll buy you two tires. So say, yeah, because that saves you buying them. Same thing. It's still money. So, yeah. And if you have a decent looking car and you keep it clean, that's what they care about. You know, like that. Yeah. So just maybe get Jonathan to, to tell you. And I, I can say, send me your email and I'll, I'll do that. I'll send that to you. For sure. I appreciate that. Actually, it's funny because one of my questions is going to be like, you know, you've been with Quaker State for how long? Like, for that long how do you keep a sponsor that long but i guess that's that's how you take care of them well yeah you know what this year is 49 years so when i tell people that when i told them like 48 all my autograph cards like they say at the top on the i'll just show you for example the 2021 my 2022 are not done yet because i need a picture of the car 
So there, there's, there's the autograph card. And if you look up there, it says 48th year, hmm. right? So this one will say 49. So next year is 50. So if I retire, retired and I said I was with Quaker State for 47 years, they were smoking for 47 years, people say, wow, that's, that's crazy. But when you tell them 50 years, the difference between 47 and 50 is three. But the difference between 47 and 50 is like, holy cow, like that's unbelievable. So it becomes unbelievable when you reach 50. It's just like a plateau. Then if I said I was with them 51 years, it wouldn't matter. 52 doesn't matter. It's just the 50 is a golden anniversary. <laughs> right. And we're making die cast cars for that as well. So, and we're doing that through Lionel, the people that do the NASCAR. So it's... Uh, and you know what? I do race reports. I do show reports. And if they ask me, but they don't always ask me to do uh, shows, but I just going to give you a tip. Like one thing, like a sponsor like that, they said to me like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they said, Gary, we don't care. We know there's 24 cars on the track. We know anything can happen. You know, you can get wrecked. Something that can happen to your car. We want to know what you you'll do off the track. Like, what do you do on Friday nights or when will you, you know, would you do this or do that? And if I say, yeah, for sure. If I say, if I say no, you know what? I don't do shows. They'd say, okay, well then we don't sponsor cars. We want you to go to the people that sell our product. We want you to go to a shell gas station, or we want you to go to a, you know, a Canadian tire that sells Quaker state oil. And that's, that's how you keep, keep them by doing that and then reporting to them every time if you do a show let them know like not a lot of people do shows i did my first show in my hobby car in 1980 that was my first show at a gas station so it was my sponsor and i went there and i had like eight cans of quaker state oil all around the display and a bunch of stuff it was pretty cool on i was at the end of his parking lot and uh, i didn't realize then how effective that was but people would stop and come in and look around. I didn't even have autograph cards back then. I didn't start getting autograph cards until 1991. So things change. There was no social media then. So, and no newspaper's gonna, that's not gonna be a big story. You know, 1980, they're talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs or the, you know, the, the Blue Jays were, because the Blue Jays were in their third year in 1980. So yeah, you know what, there's, there's so many ways to look after your sponsor and you just got to be creative and lots of people are, and that's how you keep them. That's good to know. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I feel like I'm going to be intruding here, but because that would, because <laughs> that's exactly like I, I, one person I figured, you know, would help out a lot and especially talk about sponsors and how to keep them and how to maintain them you nailed everything on the head obviously because you've been doing this such a long time and for megan herself like she this would be her second year if she if she was racing a full season um but she's still new to the sport she's still making her her way into the into the garage essentially right to, and and for you to be able to say like hey like you know i figured this was this all was, this was all, wow this was also going to be a good interview uh, a good conversation for us to have because with Megan being so new into the sport and you having, you know, an illustrious career of 54 years, she, I, I figured I'm like, she's going to enjoy this. She's going to be able to, there's going to be some things I know she's going to be able to jump in about because 
again, it, it's it's all new versus old. It's how it's how we are able to mesh the two to to show and and have racing continue because I figured this would it was going to be a great conversation for us to have. Um, and I and I know Megan's I guarantee is enjoying this. And oh, she, that's I'm just soaking it all in. Like to me, it's like interviewing an NASCAR driver. Like I just it feels so cool to me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so before we uh so we're i think uh actually we're gonna jump in here so you're celebrating your 54th the 50 54th year this year you alluded to it already talking about the die cast i want to know i i've already pre-ordered to myself because i i to me that's just gonna be an awesome piece to have and i know you guys can't see it i'm gonna tilt my camera up here but i got die cast all around my room up here oh i saw that yeah yeah so for sure that uh, the die cast are pre-order for you, that is for sure going to go up there. I'm going to have that on display because, you know, I've, I've worked with, I've been around David for since 2000, end of 2007 there. Um, when he first started with Pennzoil, that's when I really started helping out with Eddie and them. And, you know, I want to be able to help celebrate your 50th year with Quaker state, even though I can't physically be at, come out to Nova Scotia and uh and catch some racing out there but how did i want to know also though how did that deal come about did you just reach out to lionel and just say hey i want to get this done for my 50th year with quaker state or how did that come about so with lionel yeah yeah no so i uh i i started searching who does die cast cars and there was a few people that did them but there was a lot of small companies that did them and and i was told to watch them because their cars are not very good so I went to uh, like, I found out that Lionel bought up a lot of companies like this one right here, this yeah. die cast. So the hood opens and uh, you know, you can see under the hood, you can say, see the wiring and yep. the chrome. So I thought that was action. So then I found out that they bought them. And then when I, when I so I finally got the, the right person to talk to and I called them and I said, told him what I wanted to do. And he said, wow, that's unbelievable. He said that that would be a great, uh, that'd be a great milestone uh, unheard of because he had just did die cast for Bass Pro Shop and Bass Pro Shop was celebrating their 50th year last year. So oh, wow. he said, so he said, yeah, that's 50 years for a company. He said, but I can't even fathom 50 years with a driver in that car. Like that would be like, that's just not even heard of. So one of the people that had uh, the kind of, that I followed a little bit was uh, Kenny Bernstein, the funny car driver. Yep. So he was with Budweiser for 33 years. Kenny Forrest with, was with uh, Quaker, uh, not Quaker City, with Castro for 28 years. Uh, Jeff Gordon with uh, DuPont for 26 and Richard Petty as a, <laughs> sorry as a driver 21 years with uh stp <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> so we had them beat back in 2010 because we were in our 36 year then with them so but i never dreamed that we would that we'd reach 50 in fact uh i was reading my notes in one of my scrapbooks about my 40th year and i thought wouldn't it be great to make 50 and uh, I didn't know that I could still be racing 
for another 10 years because it's, it's like somebody right now asking somebody that I've raced against, say, how long have you been sponsored by that company? He says, three years. Do you think you could hang on for 47 more years? The guy wouldn't even understand what you're talking about. Yeah. So what do you hang on for? Well, he said, that's what you're going to have to do to, to race, to, to beat Gary's record. You're going to have to stay on for 48 more years. Well, they, they would just say, well, he's a lunatic. So, you know what, that that's impossible to do. And if somebody said that, I, I wouldn't really argue with them because it's not, it's not very easy to do. You got, you kind of, you got to kind of number one, you have to love racing. Number two, you have to be careful of what you do and say at the racetrack. But even more is you got to be careful what you do and say on social media, because that can get you fired. That can kill your contract in a second, depending on what you, what you say. So I need to, I can't get involved in anything on social media, no matter if I have an opinion on any topic, doesn't matter what it is, anything that's world worldly or anything that affects Canadians or anything that affects people or anything that's to do with any kind of immorality or anything to do with sexual things or anything to do with politics. I can't mention that at all because I'm an ambassador for them. So they don't want me going around and making statements about this or that, or this policy or that policy, because that's not why, that's not why they sponsor me. They don't sponsor me to be, to go after, you know, anybody in politics or, or anything like that, or anything to do with any other countries offshore or anything like that. Don't, you know what, don't talk about it. You know, just use your social media to talk about your family, racing, birthdays. They don't tell you what to do, but they just tell you what not to do. So then you find out, well, you're pretty limited because you got to be careful. So I just post racing stuff on my uh, social media. That's all I do. Yeah, that's. I think that's the, the thing that's, you know, that hinders a lot of people nowadays is because you know we have our these outlets to express ourselves and to talk about ourselves but the moment we do it could come back to bite us in the in the in the butt and you know that you never know who's listening you never know who's watching you know it's it's the i heard it uh one week on um g-force's uh race rival race chat doesn't matter if it's behind screen or on screen always act like there's a microphone in front of you. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're being there for your sponsors, your partners, you're, you're an ambassador for them, even though you're not physically, you know, bound by the company, but you still are because you're, you're the face of the company at the track. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, When I go to the races, they, they've been saying for the last few years, here comes a Quaker state car. So I mean, Quaker State likes that, and it's, you know, it's something that they, you know, they're glad to hear, and they're glad to be part of my team, and they know that I work hard for them. Um, I, I know there's a few guys that do shows, but there's a lot of guys that they don't want nothing to do with shows, and they definitely, like this year, I just did one on Friday, and I'm going to do three more at that location, and then I'm going to do two more at another sponsor, and then I'm going to do two two at, a, at Pie Chevrolet and two at East Coast International. So those, those are all going to be sponsors that I'm going to support. Well, and, and, but it, 
it gets everybody. They they have a place for me to. Some of my sponsors don't have a place where I can go, like their yeah. business or construction or something, landscaping. So they don't have a. I could come there for a barbecue, which I would do, but as you know, like if I go to Canadian Tire, they sell products for a few of my sponsors. So you know, it's really good for them. Yeah, it, it helps cover a lot of your bases, and that's yep. the one thing. I kind of was trying to, I'm trying to work with on, on my own thing with Joe media here and promotions. Cause the one thing I'm doing is I'm promoting drivers. We have about 20 something cars this year and we have 30, we have 31 drivers over 27 cars, which is phenomenal in my third year of doing this. But one of the things I'm looking forward to do in the next year or two is I want to get all the drivers. We work together that work together with us uh, to come on out and we're going to host our own car show. Because the one thing that is lacking here in Ontario is is I'm noticing, and you were one of the ones that helped me kind of realize it as well, was that not a lot of drivers out there are taking their cars to the businesses and, and promoting their sponsors. And sometimes, yes, it's harder than others. And sometimes it's easier, but you know, we, we, you know, David and David and Eddie took the car down to Skyway Jacks one morning for like 8 a.m yeah. i think it was and they, they yeah yeah they'd pack up by like 12 one o'clock to head yeah. on down to flamborough but they still made an effort to come out to a sponsor and i think that's the one thing we have to get back to is is we have to sh- show our sponsors the love that they give us because they're the ones who are really driving um they're the driving force behind what we're able to do as well 100 percent and uh, so in 2012, I believe it was, I met with one of the owners of Sunset Speedway and uh, he asked me, we went to dinner and he asked me what I would do. Like, what are some of the things that I would do? Cause he wanted to know how I got all my sponsors and, and how I kept them. So I told him basically the same things I, I told you. And uh, so he said, well, do you have any tips for me? I said, well, Go and pick, find out who's like, I, I said, if I could get 30,000 or 25,000 or 50,000 sponsorship on a race car, then a racetrack should be able to get 10 times that, like a, a racetrack, because they got way more room to put signs. They got all kinds of ways they can find special events, nights, nightly sponsors. Like I don't have, I don't have a sponsor that's for every one night right? I, that just never works on a race car. But there is a thing that I started planning last year was to get about five or six hoods and offer sponsors for a certain amount of money that I would give them a hood at the end of the year. So I'd run the hood one night. And then at the end of the night, I would give them a hood or I would deliver it to their company on Monday. So that was one way. But I suggested to this, that one of the track owners there that for example, if you got a car dealership that sponsors you, go to your late models or your thunder cars or go to the mini stocks and just say to them, would you take your car to this dealership? And if he said, yeah, I will, then tell him like, so you go to the, you go to the dealership and maybe, maybe you go to them and you say, look, uh, for $500, I'm going to bring three race cars and they're going to sign autographs and you have a barbecue night. So, and I'll give you, I'll give you the dealership 50 passes to go to the races. Yeah. So I'll give you 50. 
you get you give me five hundred dollars. So basically, I'm giving you tickets for ten dollars each. Regular admissions fifteen, and then tell the drivers that if they go there that night, them and their crew get into the races for free. So if you and then that way, drivers are helping the racetrack, and the racetrack is helping the drivers, and then they're also promoting and supporting their sponsors, and they're getting a little bit of money from them. So you would do that in the off season. You would go up to you know, like one of the GM dealers or Ford dealer, whoever close to your racetrack. And you would just say, look for, here's what I can do for a thousand dollars. I'll give you 500 tickets that can be, and you know, I'll give you this, I'll give you 200 for May, 200 for April, 200 for June and 200 for July. And you give me a thousand dollars. So they're basically paying $5 a ticket. And then, and I'll bring, I'll bring three cars to your dealership on two occasions and the, the business says, yep. Okay. I'll do that for sure. For a thousand bucks, I get, you know, whatever number of tickets. And, uh, then, uh, then that, and then you go to the teams cause you want them to just say, look, when you guys go do the show, then you come here and the driver and three or four of his crew get in for free. So that's a savings for them as well. So if it's 30 bucks to get in the back gate or 40, there's $200 for the track or for the team, I mean, $200, they just saved. I pay my guys way in. So I don't know if everybody does what I does, but I would assume they do uh, for helping, right? For your crew. I would think that they would, they don't get a salary, but they get some perks. They get their way paid in. So that's pretty yeah. good. But you're absolutely right though. Like that's the thing is like, you know, I, I remember Queenston Chevrolet down in Hamilton, I believe uh, they brought, uh what three race cars i think into the shop um the one year and one was a i think was an oscar modified i think there was um oh what's his name dan bailey he had his super stock super stock in there yeah and i think there's another car but i can't remember but there was at least two cars in there but again you're right though like that helps drive people to the to the track like you know someone who may have never known there's a racetrack 15 minutes or 20, let's say 30 minutes from the dealership. And they're just like, Oh, you know, Oh, where do these guys race? Oh, this one races off Spiegel, this one r- runs, yeah. you know, and it's like, Oh, I didn't know that. And it could help drive people to, to the track and it can bring people to not force them, but obviously it gives them a keen idea to like, Oh, like I mean, let's go check this out. Like it could be pretty cool. And for, you know, it could help, especially if they got kids, because then that could, because kids don't know any different, really. They, they, they see a race car, a, a car that's designed beautifully. There's like, yeah. ooh, race car. You know? They love it. <laughs> Absolutely. My, like, my kids to this day, they still, um, in 2019 at Motorama, I, th- you know, they still remember your car from then. And they, you know, they, they were, I think, three and one, I think, or I can't remember their age gap now. No, this is only a couple years ago. So this was about five and three or so. But still, like, they both remember the car. and Yeah. But that's what helps bring people out to the track as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, the tracks can do that, utilize their racers to help promote the track and to make some money too. Yep. And I think Meridville does one of the better jobs of it because um, with them being so close to St. Catharines, they got the Penn Center down there for, I think, a week or two weeks. They bring a, a handful of cars. Oh, they don't just right? bring a couple. Oh, they bring... I think there was six or seven this year 
that were uh, all lined up in the mall for like a week or two. Wow. And nice. that, again, that helps bring people to come on out to Merrittville Speedway, which is 20 minutes down the road from the mall. Yeah. So I think part of that is uh, track promoters. Yeah. Like they have a lot, a lot to do, but they have the off season, the same as race teams to get sponsors and decide what they're going to do, if they're going to do any kind of improvements on the racetrack. So they have to do a budget the same as, same as we do. We, yep. we need to do a budget as well. And so then they need to come up with creative ways of getting more money into the track. And so giving away tickets for, if you gave away 200 tickets a night <clears throat> for $5 each or whatever to, to a business, and maybe he would buy a sign from you or maybe he would sponsor a night, yep. but then those 200 people more than likely are going to buy food or buy souvenirs. So that would be what you would be hoping. And there's no racetrack that I know of in Ontario or even down here that couldn't have an extra 200 people come in, especially with COVID restrictions lifted. You can have two more, 200 more people. You would squeeze them in. Flamborough will hold 6,000. Yeah. So, you know, so they, they could easily do that. But then it's also the same with me too. If somebody said, well, when I say this about me, like John Caselli's had that track in Frank since 1973. So this is their 50th year, I believe. Yep. Next year, actually, technically next year is 50 years, but I think they actually year, bought in 72. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so. this year is 50 years, but they didn't run it in, in uh, 72. They no. ran it in 73. So anyway, but you know what? I mean, John Caselli and, Frank, they, they do everything they can. They're great guys, but it's, it's hard to be like, you almost need to hire somebody to go out and promote your racetrack. And then they can, or, or they'll come to you and say, Hey, here's what I can do. And a lot of guys want to be more involved in a racetrack than just selling stuff. They want to be involved, but if they can make money too. So, you know, a salesperson goes out and gets, a bunch of sponsors and John Caselli for sure would be definitely, uh, you know, gracious to him and, you know, generous as well. And so that person might make some money too, putting some deals together. But if he puts deals together, he has to make sure that Flamborough is going to agree with it. Right. Absolutely. John, I just uh, got a thousand dollars from this company and they want 200 tickets. Well, John might say, hold on 200 tickets. I sell them for 50. $15. That's, that's 30, you know, 200 times, no, 200 times 15 is $3,000. So you can't sell them for 1,000, but they're going to spend money and they're going to be guaranteed they're going to come. Now, if they don't come, they don't come, but the tickets are only good for so many for May, so many for June, so many yeah. for July. But those are just creative ways to try and always bring people in. If you can get people in and you never know when somebody comes into your track and they say, wow, how do I get involved in this track to, to do some advertising here? So, you know, and again, we get, that takes us back to series with lots of cars and exciting announcer, a nice looking clean facility. That's, you know, that, that people, you know, it's kind of like a carnival atmosphere. You yep. know, it's like going, taking your kid to an amusement park and they got stuff going on. So that potential is great at Flamborough for sure. And Sunset and Sobble, they're all, all, all the Peterborough, any one of them, they all have that same potential to do that. Absolutely. Do. 
Um, we're gonna we're just gonna finish. We're just about to uh, wrap you up here, but we wanted to actually bring up about your your season so far. You just you just said you competed on Saturday night, right? Yeah. So how did you do on Saturday night? Okay, so uh, we tore the car all apart ourselves. We took the body off. We made some changes on the car, fixed some things that were leaking, things that were broke. You know, we just we put the body all back on it. We set the car up. We put new brakes, new calipers, repacked all the wheel bearings. So we and put new clutch discs and a lot of the stuff we we did over the over the winter. In fact, by probably by middle of December, the car was ready to be lettered. It was all painted. Everything was done. So when we went out on Saturday night um, and my first heat, so I, I only went out twice in hot laps. And then, then I went out in uh, my heat race. So just because of, uh, you know, the possibilities of getting in trouble and stuff like that, I, I, I went to the back of my heat. But in the heat race, I, last year, my fastest lap at Scotia was 14,536. And uh, that's the fast, fastest lap for people 70 and over. So I'm just saying. So the kids are turning 14 twos, 14 threes. You know, that's where they are. So, so this old fellow is not that far behind, but two, two tenths is, is a lot, really. But it would be a lot if, if the 20 year olds or 25 year olds are turning my times, they'd say, well, that's, that's no good. I can do better than that. So better cars, better equipment, you know, being able to know how to make the car work uh, is all ways of getting faster times. So I was happy last year, 15, 14, 536 in the heat race on Saturday night, we turned to 14, 539. So we were three thousandths of a second off our best time at that track. So that's a personal thing. So for me, eventually I want to get down to the 14 fours. I'll still be off the pace. I don't expect to run as fast as Cole Butcher and Noggle and Craig Slumway. I just don't, I, I don't expect to run as fast as them. But anyway, so we finished sixth in our heat and we weren't that far behind and uh, started last in the feature. Actually started second last, so started seventeenth uh, in the feature. And um, anyway, on lap sixty-six, so I got lapped on lap thirty. So did four or five other guys. And then on lap sixty-six, they were coming around to lap me. And one of the guys, because when you're lapping a car and you're, you know, you're not thinking about, you don't care about the lap car, right? Yeah. So what happens is the cars that are lapping you, sometimes they will really, really hug you. Like you can stay right down almost on the speed bumps and you're hitting them because you're staying so low. You don't want to, but you can't stop your car. You still got to be able to race it, but they need to leave room. They need to give you a foot or whatever, or 10 inches or whatever. So one guy, anyway, he, he came in and he drove into my right front wheel. Like he just hit my wheel. And so what happens when it's like, if you ever see a guy running in second place and he's trying to pass the car in front, he hits the car in front and he spins out because that becomes a pivot point. Yeah. So when that guy hit my wheel, it, my car turned, turned and I spun out and was sitting in turn three. So it seemed like seven seconds later, but it was at least eight car lengths behind. This guy was at least eight car lengths behind me. He came around and drove right into me. Like I, I, I was watching him. 
And I thought, there's no, no way he's, he's going to hit me. And he did. So did a lot of damage to my car. So I'll just show you what we worked on a bit today. So this is, uh, well, this is the car here. This is what it looked like. This is what it looked like on, uh, when I went to the races. Yep. So, uh, anyway, I don't know my phone. If I, I don't know how much of that you're getting, but then anyways, tore off the fender, the door and damaged the quarter panel on the back. So that's on first, first race day. So I wasn't, you know, it didn't really, I was discouraged, but I wasn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to give up. I, I just, yeah. it was day one. So anyway, where I, but so what I did was I stayed out. So the, the guy that hit me, he got towed off and he went in the pits. So the, the, the ambulance corps said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. And then the tow truck guy said, do you need a ride? I said, if I can drive, I'm going. He said, okay, well, you're, I tried to move, but I couldn't move because he was hooked to the back of my car. Yeah. So he drove over the top of my front fender, down the side of my car, and then hooked the back quarter panel. So anyway, once he said, okay, you're free now. So I said, just roll me ahead a little bit just to make sure. And then I started up and I drove in the pits. So they cut the rest of that fender off and they looked at the front end. They said, the front end doesn't look too bad. Well, I guess, <laughs> and they're, you know, you're hurrying to get me back out again, right? Yep. But the toe was towed out one inch. So it's supposed to be about an eighth of an inch or a 16th or an eighth. Yeah. So it was one inch towed out. So I went back out anyway, and I just stayed out there. There were 16 cars left and, or 15, and I ended up 10th by staying out. So, so I was happy with the 10th. I was down five laps because I just couldn't keep up. I couldn't drive yeah. the car. It was just, it was just so. So the good news for us is we're off on Saturday. We don't race again until June 4th. I have all the spare panels. So I got to, uh, if you see over there, you can see. Uh, yep. Spare fender. So I have a spare fender. I got a spare door. I got a spare rocker panel. So I'm going to be good. There's my door. It's kind of chipped up. I actually might be able to clean that up and save that door as a spare. So that's what happened Saturday night. Oh, that wow. was 860 consecutive. <laughs> wow, that's just that's just that's just remarkable. But anyways, uh, where can fan, what are you, what is your season? What is your 2022 season looking like? So we're going to be racing the Mar uh, the East Coast International Maritime Pro Stock Tour, East Coast International Pro Stock Tour, and we're going to run three specials. We're going to run three of them in New Brunswick, two at Petty International Speedway, and one at Shediac. So that's 16 races. And then we're going to go to Ontario and race Flamborough Speedway on October 2nd. And then we're going to go to uh, Peterborough for ACC and the Autumn Colors Classic. And then we're going to come back home. And then I'm going to go to Petty on October 15th for their final race of the year, a pro stock 150 lapper. So my question is, when you come back to Ontario, what will you be racing? Oh, my, my late model. I'm oh, you're bringing, bringing it? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, I yeah. got to make sure I come. <laughs> yeah, so. I got to come out and watch it one more time. 
I, I called John Caselli and I talked to John and I told him I want to come and come there and race. So he said that would be good. He want, he'd like me to come as well. So I'm going to come and uh, I'm bringing my car. I'm going to do a show at the Canadian Tire and Water Down. And there's a high school that wants me to come and do something with the kids. I did that before in the past. Yep. So I think I will end up with 18. If there's no rain, I'll have 18 races this year and I'll have 10 shows. So I'll have 28 events this year. So the 10 shows, though, should make my sponsors happy. For sure. Sounds, absolutely, they would. So uh, before we let you go, we got to jump into our Jomo Media. Or sorry, not your Jomo Media. It's uh, our fan question period. Whereas you saw earlier today, we put out there on social media that you were coming on. And uh, we always reach out to our guests, our fans to see who's got questions for us because they're, they're the best source. And sometimes they always give, uh, give us some great, great, uh, great questions. Um, are you ready to answer them? Oh yeah. hundred percent. All right. So the first one comes to us from our main man, Rob Twitchett. Right. Rob. Yeah. Rob pitted for me in 2010. Yep. And he just uh, completed his first night with the CVMs last night. He raced the CVM. Yeah. He's a, uh, uh, wow. John Carley bought a second car and it's the it's rebranded as the 44 and Adam Ross, Connor Ross and Rob Twitchett are sharing that ride this year. Oh, nice. Oh, that's awesome. So Adam ran the first night. Uh, Connor, I think, is running next week and Rob got to run it last night. So that it's it's look, it's he had a lot of fun last night and he said he needs to work out more to uh, wheel that thing around because he was tired after thir- after 25 laps. Yeah, they don't have power steering. No, I think that one does actually. I want to say. Oh, does it? Oh, I think maybe so. they allowed it. They didn't allow it when I was there. No, I think we've I think we've we've allowed it because even um someone else has uh, uh electric power steering, I believe, on his car. Oh, you know what? There was one person that was granted power steering for for uh, I think it was for some issue that they had and they needed power steering, and now I think they let everybody have it, which is no yeah. big deal. They should be able to. It's it's an expense. A lot of times. When Ray Hughes and I used to always talk about what was going on in the hobby club, we, we always thought that the most important thing was to try to keep costs down. Yeah. So if everybody's got power steering, you know what, it's probably safer too. So his question was, of all the cars you have owned over the years, what one does you regret selling the most? Okay. Now, is he talking about hobby cars? Doesn't or matter any which, car. any car, any car you've owned. I'll show you a picture right now. I love how he's giving us a visual too, which is awesome. I love it. Yeah. The you modified. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That Oscar modified is my favorite car. And uh, I love racing them. When I was in that car, I wasn't even the same person. That nope. was like a hobby car on steroids. You know what? That's what I've heard about those cars. They are so much fun to race, but. No, no offense against Oscar, but they've allowed uh, they've allowed super late models in there now. So you can buy a super late model chassis and race and uh, against the Oscar modifieds. I had a Troyer and a Troyer when we called Troyer and told them what we were doing because we we're allowed sixty percent left side weight. They said that's ridiculous. That's way too much, and for those cars, they're not built for that. So, so anyway, he told me. To go down to 56 i said oh wow that's a lot that's a big drop because i was at 59.3 he yeah. said well if you want that car to corner better and i did and it was better 
And then when we told them another year later that, hey, they're allowing them to run super late models. And then he just said, you guys are idiots. He said, there's no way that a Troyer car is, is designed to race against a super late model. So anyway, but that's, I still love it. And I still, I still love the series, but if I go back there again, if I ever did, I'd need a super late model. Yeah. Uh, the next question comes to us from Michael Kenny. What was the most memorable moment you have ever had over your years of racing? Oh, okay. So uh, I'm just trying to think. So there's a few of them, but I'm just, uh, he wants to know which one's the most memorable. Yeah. So remember that picture I showed you of a feature win at late uh, with the late model and my yep. 40th year. That was 2008, July 26th. So what, what is so special about that night is that was my 40th anniversary and it was a big celebration. So I had just made my 40th anniversary magazine. I gave one out to every driver. Um, David won his heat. I won my heat and we finished first and second in the feature. And that was just unbelievable. Like that was an unbelievable night. And I'm just not so sure if it's if it's that one or if it's this one right here. Um, see that? Yep. That was that was at Peterborough Speedway, Autumn Colors. It was my 800th consecutive night. So, but I didn't do that. I finished fourth that night. But I'm gonna have to say, yeah, I'm gonna have to say that night that I won the feature and David finished second. We David and I finished first and second in hobby features and late models features seven times. He won six of them. I won that one. <laughs> all right. Well, that wraps up our fan question period. Of course, we want to thank all everyone who submits the questions. Make sure you guys tune in next Sunday as you guys find out who our guest will be next week. And of course, we want to thank Gary for answering those questions for us because you know that's our the fans are the ones who make uh, who make who help us do what we do, right? Can I just uh, do one thing? Yeah. So here, here's my sponsors for this year. So East Coast International, they also sp sponsor the East Coast International Pro Stock Tour. Yep. PPG, they've been with me for about 10 years. Canadian Tire, they've been with me two years now. Race Time Radio, which you probably know, Joe Chisholm. Yep. And then down here, Securitel. And built by Elliot, that's my cousin. He does woodworking, custom okay. woodworking, beautiful stuff. Then over here, I have uh, Inscapes. They do all my autograph cards. Grindstone Landscaping, they've been with me since 2008. So they're, I, I, I got to tell you a quick story about them. And then here's a new sponsor right here. Can you see their logo okay? Yep. It's called uh, Motor City Madness. It's a board game. It's, it's just going to be coming out soon. And uh, over here, we got Pie Chevrolet. Uh, where am I? So we got Pie Chevrolet. Epic and Quickwick. So a quick a quick story on uh, the back of my car on the trunk. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, try to get it. You can see that. That's yep. grindstone on the back. So anyway, so he sponsored me from 2008 to 2019. Then he heard I was going to Nova Scotia. So in 2016, I said, "Hey, Jay, is there any way that you could?" Uh, you know, give me a bit more money. He said, Gary, no. He said, I, I can't give you any more. He said, uh, I like you and I support you, but 
you don't do anything for me. I don't have a, I don't have Facebook. I don't have a website. I don't do any of that stuff. And so no, you know what? No, I can't. So you you don't really do nothing for me. He said, but I really like you. I said, okay, no problem. I understand. So then, so I come down here in, in 2019. So I called him from Nova Scotia. I said, Hey Jay, would you sponsor me next year? 2020. He said, Gary, why would I sponsor you when you're in Nova Scotia? He said, you're not going to do nothing for me there. I said, I know. And I didn't do nothing for you in Ontario. So it's, it's an easy, easy. So he said, okay. So he said, yeah, I'll, okay. I'll sponsor you. He said, but I want the, I want the bumper, the rear bumper. So he's on the rear bumper and he's on the rear bumper of the die cast car as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's actually, that is a really good story though. <laughs> Yeah, that was, well, you know, I, I was lucky. I was wise enough to see, but I mean, I really appreciate what he did for me and his dad sponsored me for a while as well. So I've been really fortunate, you know, to get my own sponsors. I've had to work hard and I work hard to keep them and they mean a lot to me. And, um, you know, I, if you ask me, when am I going to retire? I might be forced to retire because I don't have sponsors. Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, I mean, really, it's not that it's, it's not like I'm retiring early. <laughs> no, not at all. 54 years, my son. Look at that. 54 years. Awesome. Yeah. And next year will be 55. So I had to do my paint scheme. So did I show you a picture of the car? No, you haven't yet. Okay. So um, just, all right. So after we get through talking, I'll, we'll message each other back and forth. Cause I want to, is it Jennifer? The girl is with you there? No, Megan. Oh, Megan, not even close. That's good. I've been paying attention. Anyway, if Megan, I want to send her something anyway for to help her with sponsors. I'll make sure Megan, make sure when you go on Facebook, go over and add uh, Gary to Facebook there. And yeah, for sure. Okay. Is there uh so we'll let you get going here because we know it's a little bit later over where you are over in Nova Scotia. Um, we want to thank you for jumping on with us. It was an absolute pleasure. Cause th th this has got to be one of my favorite ones. This is hands down mm -hmm. one of my favorite ones because I don't, I know when I've talked to is over 50 years of racing experience. No one I've talked to like the closest one is, is John Carley and he's had over 30 years, but with yourself, he, he with, between you and John, like you got, John's been very much CVM. You have raced an array of uh, classes and, you know, I got to thank you again from the bottom of my heart for sitting down chatting with us and, uh, I wish you all the best in 2022. I can't wait to see what the design, uh, what you guys have come up with for the uh, die cast for next year. Megan, make sure you get on that and get, and uh, so to help, because I think we learned a lot more about how to mm. keep, get sponsors, retain sponsors. And Gary answered, I think a lot of questions tonight on that. So Gary, thank you so much for doing this with us. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, there's a, there's a few more stories I could have told you, but I think I told you quite a few, but. Um, we'll have to do a part two. Well, we're going to have to bring you back on another <laughs> time. Maybe this is good. Maybe in the off season, we'll have to, uh, on a Sunday, get earlier in the day or something and, and get you on here and, uh, and tell some more stories. Yeah. One I'm going to, you can remember this one, but one I'm going to tell you is the time I was going to Cayuga Speedway in 1970 and my pickup truck towing my Volkswagen and I had a flat tire in my truck and I was a redneck and I had no spare. So we drove from the Skyway bridge 
So we, with the flat tire happened going up the Skyway Bridge. And down at the bottom back in them days, they had booths. They used to have booths. They used to pay tolls there. Yeah. Anyway, I pulled over to the side. I called. Nobody had a spare tire. Nobody had a wheel. It was a big eight, eight lug wheel. So I drove from there to Cayuga Speedway on a flat tire. Anyway, I'll tell you that story later. <laughs> that, 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 that's the story that I was thinking of earlier in the night um, when we first got on about the, the uh, early on. That, that was a story I was, I was expecting early on. But that's a story I, I want to hear again. Um, <coughs> because it, that to me, that's a very memorable story. But Gary, thank you so much for doing this with us. It's, uh, like I said, man, it was great talking to you. And we're going to definitely have to bring you back on for a part two. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you very much, Megan. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I'll talk to you soon. Have a good night now. All right, take care. Bye. Bye now. All right, guys, once again, that was Gary Elliott, driver the number 36. Man, what an incredible career he's had. 54 years, you know, with with, with Quaker State, like or 49 years with Quaker State, 54 years racing. What a legacy this guy has. And Megan, how'd you, how'd you feel about it? That was incredible. Like, honestly, to me, it was like a NASCAR driver talking to me. Like, I just, I was soaking it all in. I'm like listening to him and I'm like, I just, that's what I want to be. Like, I want to hold a sponsor that long. I want to be just that dedicated. Like, he's just, wow. You know, I've, I've seen him on the track growing up. I don't know a whole lot about a lot of drivers, but that just made me a bigger fan. Like, wow. I'm just speechless. <laughs> I, I'm sorry for anyone uh, where you heard way too much of me this entire interview. Um, but, you know, that's the thing is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring him on was because, A, you guys were looking hard for a sponsor last year. You mm-hmm. got your win. You had three sponsored opportunities, you know, then, then this year, unfortunately, because of, you know, a lot of family things, you're unable to have a car out right now, but that's not going to stop you guys from going out there and getting sponsors and, you know, for Gary to sit there and offer to, for you to reach out to him and, and yeah. to, to help you understand is amazing. And, you know, that's Gary's such a nice guy. He is. You know, that was incredible to talk to him about that. Like, just wow. Oh my gosh. I, I met him in two th- at the end of the 2007 season um, when I started going to help David and them in the shop. Because, and, you know, there's times Gary took me upstairs and showed me around his. his, his, his honestly, like, even, even the shop in Waterdown looks his upstairs looked exactly like that, mm-hmm. minus the race car because I was downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> but, the knowledge he has the history that goes along with it you can't help but stand there and just applaud the man for Mm -hmm. what he's done behind the wheel of a race car so gary thank you again for jumping on with us i i think both megan and i learned a lot and uh we we look forward to seeing how his 2022 season goes out and uh yeah so megan is there anything else you want to add before we jump back into what we were talking about earlier um about gary yeah about gary i i was really like when especially when he got talking about um like when he got talking about the whole social media and being a 
um, like representing your sponsors and stuff and watching what you say and do. I mean, I personally can learn a lot from that because we all in the can. Past, yeah, exactly. We all can. We like, I think all of us can learn a lot from a lot of the stuff he talked about tonight. It was just amazing. Absolutely. You know, like I, I'm going to sit here and be completely honest with you. Like for myself, I know I am not a role model in any way, shape or form, nor do I see myself as one. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I want people to see is my true self, no matter which version you get. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's still times I watch what I say. There's times where I'm yeah. sitting here. And I see some, I'm like, mm, I want to say something, but I bite my tongue mm-hmm. because there's times where you have to understand it's not your fight to go yeah. in. That's Sometimes exactly. you do have to sit back. You do have to let the bullets hit you essentially, mm-hmm. but know in the end, you're not going to bleed out. Yeah. And yeah, I know that's a very bad analogy after saying it. But, but it's perfect. It makes a it, lot of sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, or, you know, you have to let those right hooks hit you, but like get on those ropes and just h- hang there. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, we're just going to jump back. We kind of already rolled into it a little bit because I wanted to continue on with our, at the beginning of the show, you guys listening, we were already talking about our, uh, it's mental health week. I shared a bit of my story, but the one thing I didn't get to add, and I kind of feel like it's important to add, is that sometimes people do or say something that they don't necessarily mean, but you should never hold them accountable for that. Like what I'm saying is, so someone like myself, I very much, there's a, there's always that line in the sand. Mm-hmm. there's people out there that stay very far back 10 20 yards there's some guys who are thinking they're about like really close but they're only like five to ten and there's guys like me i dabble on that line i'm tiptoeing each side between that. because the way i see it a lot of times is you know if if roles were reverse i would expect it so the way I get through my pain, the way I get through a lot of things is by very, very, very dark humor. Megan, <laughs> I've, I've told you some really questionable, <laughs> questionable jokes and questionable comments. You know, my family can attest to this. And I know when I come on a mic, that all goes away and my professionalism comes out. A few things but, are rolling through my head now. <laughs> me, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but very much the person you guys hear is also the same guy you would see me walking through the pits. It's also mm-hmm. the same guy you would catch going to a Jays game. It's the same guy you would catch. But the difference is, is how I present myself. You know, I'm when I'm on a mic, I'm going to present myself in the most professional way. But if you guys know me, you guys get the chance to know me. You guys are going to find a whole different side of me that no one's ever going to know. A lot of people don't know about. And there's times where, you know, we're 
we're watching a show right now called Un- Unexpected. Megan, I've mentioned this to you the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm actually <laughs> missing it right now, which is fine because some because Jacqueline, Jacqueline's at work. Jacqueline's at work right now. I even told uh, Jacqueline's mom that I may not be able to watch it tonight because of having gear and I knew how long it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And of course, me cooking a turkey dinner earlier didn't help, but that's <laughs> that's not the point. The point is, is that there's a guy on the show I absolutely despise. Left, right, and center. If I had a passport right now and I'm going through his hometown and I <laughs> ever caught him, I'm it's it's a fight on sight. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. And if you guys know who it is, no, you don't. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys know who it is. I'm just, he, he's the most, he got to be the most hated man on television right now. And, and I, it sounds weird coming from a guy like myself um, to be saying that, but I, it's, there, there's a lot of times I say very, very questionable things, but in the end, I, it's not, how do I put it? It's not about who, how do I put this now? Megan, can you help me out? See if you can figure out what I'm trying to say here. I feel like I do. Okay, spit it out. See if we can catch catch up here because I feel like I'm going a little bit in circles. Oh, what's the word? No, I'm stuck. <laughs> oh, okay, anyways. So the way I see it is that, you know, when people make mistakes you own up to it. I own up to all my mistakes. Mm-hmm. Anytime someone has reached out to us about, you know, something questionable that's been said, I still respond to them in a professional manner. Now there's times where I question some people on why they're there. They feel that way or why they, because I cross that line so much. There's times I see how bad it is. You know, and there's times I see like, oh, I'm like, oh, what did I say that was wrong? Because there's times people don't we're we're we humans are very much a reaction type. We react to things right away. We don't necessarily think of the consequences until after things are said and after things are done. So one of the things I'm trying to get at here is you know, we're we're sometimes when something happens sometimes we just need to take that step back and, you know, think almost if the fight is really worth it because in the, because, you know, it, what are we really fighting for if we're just going to be arguing or, you know, trying to tear people down and, you know, I'm not saying my actions are ever right nor am I ever saying my actions are ever wrong, but I know who I am. I know how people perceive me. And, you know, if, if there's people out there that don't like me, that's fine. I got no issues because I, I, I've removed people from my life who meant the most to me and I had to remove them. So if you don't know me, don't even be questioning about what I've done in my life or what, what I should or shouldn't be saying or how I should be acting. And sometimes we all just got to focus on ourselves. 
I feel like they kind of like, and I made this like comment to my dad and he found it funny the way I worded it, but it's something about like, you could be the best, ripest, juiciest peach out there. And there's still going to be somebody who just does not like peaches. So Absolutely. it's like, it doesn't matter if you're perfect. Somebody out there isn't going to like you. Absolutely. Who cares? Like, sorry, we're not out here. Like, no person should be out there to impress everybody. Like, as long as you're making yourself happy, that's all that should really matter to me. Absolutely. Like, that's that's all that matters. We got to make sure that the number one person who's happy is, is who you are. If mm-hmm. you're not happy with yourself, you're going to try and tear down everyone in sight. And that's probably the one thing we don't need to be seeing happening. And Megan, you brought it up before we got Gary in. And I want to tell you everyone a little bit about this. So now you're going to make me cry. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so in 20, <laughs> let me remember that you're here. In 2016, uh, this is, it, it's a, don't for anyone listening, like, if you're if you're sensitive to this kind of stuff like it's it's fine i i'm sorry about this i'm giving you guys a warning right now in 2016 um i found myself homeless and you know it was about march ish and i've been living in my i lived in my truck for about eight months i essentially just things just kept falling apart for me and uh you know, I was working at a job in Hamilton. I'm not going to name the company because it's it's not it's not any purpose now. But they, uh, the one owner. So one of the stipulations of me working there, and I and I expressed that when I first applied and when I first went in for my interview was that I, I was a part of a race team, and I told them that on Saturdays I could work, but only till noon, and because I had other responsibilities of going to the track and crewing for uh, a friend of mine. And he said, yep, yeah, no problem. Just give us the dates that you need off or the half days or whatever. And we'll, uh, we'll accommodate. I'm like, perfect. Fast forward a month and a half, two months. I got the schedule. I took it to the, one of the co-owners and uh, he essentially laughed in my face and said, yeah, that's not happening. You're not going to be going to the track. You're, you're a newbie. You're, you, you don't get weekends off. You don't get, you, you don't get to come in here and dictate what we do. At first I was like, well, that I'm like, well, this is the stipulation that I had coming here was that I was able to leave Fridays or, or Saturdays at noon and go racing. He wasn't a fan of that and whatever. Uh, one day, uh, we still got paste. We got our paychecks in a cash form, not direct deposit for whatever reason. They weren't up to date yet on the, they didn't get it out of the stone ages yet. And uh, instead of writing my name on the envelope for the paycheck, he wrote my name. And then underneath it, it said, go buy yourself a YMCA pass and have a shower. That that hurt me a lot because I was working my ass off trying and I was seeing my kids whenever I could. I was trying to do whatever I could to 
make their life better. I was living out of my truck. Nothing ever seemed like it was getting better. And yeah, I was, I was essentially taking little showers and in, you know, after work in the, uh, I watched it as much as I could. I, I was having a shower maybe once, maybe twice a week if I was lucky. And to see something like that on my paycheck written, written like that on the envelope was, uh, was, was really shitty feeling. And me, me and that co-owner of the, of the business, we got into it quite a few times actually. And that was, that was one of many incidences I had with him. And, you know, he, every time he showed up, he always made comments. He, you know, was very like, he wasn't wrong in what he was saying, but instead of asking what's going on or asking, you know, is everything okay? He essentially berated me and made me feel like less of a person. And, you know, I didn't like that. I, you know, I tried my best. I, I worked hard. I showed up every day. If someone guy was, wasn't working that day and they need an extra hand, I was there. If, you know, I, what really did it in was essentially him questioning how, I, how my work ethic and how I was able to complete a job. You know, uh, one of our mechanics asked if I knew how to do if he asked if uh, uh, I could get into the car and lift it up and he can lift it up and we'll do a um, we'll bleed the brakes. And that's exactly what we did. We lifted it up. I, I, I looked at him like I can't get in there because I'm a bigger guy. I wasn't fit. And he's like, do you know how to bleed brakes? I'm like, yeah, you push it three times. I crack the uh, the breather. Wait till fluid comes out. Make sure there's no air. Make sure it's a nice solid stream. I know what, like I know what I'm doing. He's like, okay. I get about halfway done the left front caliper. Co-owner comes out, starts yelling. What do you think you're doing? You're not, you're not qualified to do that. Da, da, da. I'm like, I know what I'm doing. You know, I, at this point, I was working on a super stock program with a buddy of mine. Um, I had been working on race cars for a number of years. I've been doing my own brake jobs for a number of years. I, you know, I've known what I'm doing. And then I made a, I didn't even make a, I started fighting back a bit and he was a lot bigger than I taller and wider. And I, at one point I just turned around cause I, I had enough and I didn't, I don't even remember doing nothing. I don't even, I, just, I just turned around. He's like, what? You got something to say? And I looked back. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't say nothing. Like, I don't know what his issue was, but he definitely didn't know how to train employees. And that was the final straw. I, I think the next, in two days later, I believe I got another job offer. I took it and they're like, when can you start? I'm like, I'll start tomorrow. He's like, no, that's, that's not right. How will you start Monday? I'm like, fine. And he called me back a little later. He said, oh, the Monday's holiday. So let's start Tuesday. I'm like, fine. I wrote something up and I said, I'm like, my last day's Friday at five. I think I was supposed to work till eight o'clock. Then I said, I'm done at five. I loaded up my toolbox and I got out of there. And I didn't care. I, and you know, the, the guy, our GM guy that we had, he goes, 
was this about the owner? I was like, absolutely, it was about the owner. Because I I worked my ass off to try and get better. And he wasn't, he very much wanted to keep me down and I was not willing to be kept down. I wanted to keep pushing forward and, you know, it, it, it was a sh- very shitty situation in my opinion. I was not a fan of it. I, I could tell you many a stories about the, the part of my French here, guys and gals, if you're a little younger than 17, I went through a lot of shit from a very young age, you know, and a lot of it was because of me being a nice guy. And I, I'm going to save this for an episode rest of this stuff for an episode at the maybe we'll do an off-season episode in october november and i'll go through a lot of the well we'll go through some events and we'll do uh megan caitlin myself we'll all do a round table of of events of of that have happened to us if we're okay with sharing our 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 things and i know for myself i'm more than willing to talk about it because i'm not a i'm not afraid I'm more, I'm, it it doesn't bug me as much as it used to, but it's still, you know, like one of the things I'm just going to bring this up real quick. One of the things that still leads at me to this day, to this day was grade six. So I'm going, that's what, 11, 11 to 12 years old. I'm 29. I'm almost 20 years removed from this. I got picked on and I got told that I was never going to be, I was never, no girls were ever going to love me. No girl was ever going to, I was never going to have kids. That still eats me to almost 20 years later. I got two boys and it still eats at me. I got an amazing girlfriend in Jacqueline who I, you know, like it still eats at me to this day. And I still remember that shit, that stuff being said, I still remember it you never really get over it. You just learn to move on. And so, you know what, to anyone listening who like to be assholes, part of my French who are out here trying to tear other people down, just stop, just stop for the love of God. Just stop. There's absolutely no need for this crap. If you're not happy with your, where your life is, turn it around. If you're going to sit there and tear other people down, why? What are you gaining out of it? You're gaining nothing except for false sense of accomplishment. So anyone listening or watching who likes to tear other people down, just stop. There, there is no need for this crap in this world. That's all I got to say on that. I agree with that. Like, you you really, you don't know what someone's going through and you don't know how your words are going to affect them. Yeah. You know, I like to live the, just live. It's a quote I saw again. I like living by quotes and I don't know how it goes, but it's something about how you don't know if somebody's going out one day and they're going to decide if someone makes one ignorant comment to me, that's it. 
amending everything. Mm-hmm. Or if I go out and I see one person smile at me, that's going to be my reason to keep going. So don't, mm-hmm. don't be the reason why somebody calls it quits on life. Like you don't know. Don't be so someone's 13th reason. Yeah, exactly. Don't be that 13th reason. Don't be an asshole. There's no need for it. And I don't, I don't welcome it. I don't entertain it. It's, it's not okay. No. There's a time and place for certain things, but if you're going to come out here and just tear other people down, find some, find a better hobby. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to, uh, that's all I'm going to say on that. Um, with us almost being three hours into recording here, I think we <laughs> should uh, get the show wrapped up here. And I, I do think we need to bring come back to this conversation when we don't mm-hmm. have a guest and, you know, talk about it more, maybe get more people involved. Um, maybe we'll bring Jory in, get him involved into it or something and, or, mm-hmm. you know, find other, other people. Maybe we'll get a round table of mental health advocates and people who believe in it. And, you know, I think that'd be a good one, but mm-hmm. for right now we're going to close the book on that one. Uh, and we're going to slide over. Um, we do. If you guys saw last week and you guys saw our Instagram post, we do have tumblers. We have Jomo media tumblers. I love the thing. I'm going to bring it up again. Cause <laughs> they're sick. They're just awesome. I love it. Like, if you guys excited. want, if you, uh, I'm going to go order a couple more for Megan and Caitlin. Hopefully we get them to you guys soon. Um, if you guys want to order your own, let us know. We'll put in an order, get some out to you guys. We also do have hats, hoodies, t-shirts. They're over on our social media page on, uh, on our link tree. Uh, they're through Epic. We are hoping to have a better, not better, but we're looking to have a, a system in for next year where you guys can contact, contact us directly and get your shirts from us. And, you know, maybe we'll give some shirts to Megan. Maybe we'll give some shirts to Keelan and, you girls, whenever you guys are at a track and someone says, hey, you guys have drama media stuff, boom, go ahead, right? So I do. I do. So make sure you, if you guys want to see some more drama media merch and apparel and stuff like that, we are going to get a bigger, better system going on for 2023. I'm already in the works of getting all this stuff lined up now so that way next season, we're prepared. Woo. Woo. That was a, that was a sudden drop. I had my... Uh, hair clippers for some reason just slip almost onto my foot yeah interesting eh? but uh, thank you guys for joining us for this very extended version of the true north racing podcast um it was a lot of fun i don't want this to end but like i feel like we got to it's 11 o'clock at night <laughs> even though it's a holiday tomorrow yeah i think we should still get some rest <laughs> are you off tomorrow or do you still have to go to work i'm off tomorrow oh perfect even better goodness <laughs> that's always the best part mm-hmm. megan what are your plans for the weekend are you gonna we're gonna find you at a racetrack or are we gonna you gonna hang out again well since Oshwegan got rained out this past this weekend yep the plan is to go next weekend i guess it would be the 27th yeah it's like a few days before my birthday. So like, that's how I want to celebrate it. I want to go to Oshwegan. I want to come back to Flamborough. When's your birthday? May 31st. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Very, right. 
on a Tuesday. <laughs> I was going to say, let's all go out and do something. But I got plans that night. That's okay. I have a staff meeting on my oh. birthday after work and I work till five. So I really, I really hope they bring you cake. I hope so too. Like, I, really, I really hope that's what they do for it. I'm going to go see Top Gun Maverick on that day. So Ooh. I've been waiting 30 years for that movie to have a sequel. You can <laughs> ask anyone who knows me that movie. I can recite the first one from 1986, pretty much in my sleep. So I'm excited. I want to see this whole storyline play out. Um, so we'll catch you at Oshwegan. You know what? I think, you know what we need to do? Mm-hmm. Remember last year, how we got you to do a uh, day, the, day in the life of, yeah. like you, you take over the Joe media handle. Yeah. I think fun. you need to do that. I think it'd be fun, especially because now I've like gained more confidence and I feel like I'd be able to put out more content uh, you know what <laughs> this weekend next weekend you go to Oshwegan you're doing a Joe media you're gonna take over the Joe media account on Facebook and Instagram post whatever you want go have fun with it sounds good all right well you guys will be able to catch me next Saturday night at Flamborough Speedway once again with the young drivers Canadian and modifieds I'll be there gates open at four Grandstands open at five. Racing gets underway at six thirty. I'm excited. Lots of action going on. Pro late malls, pro challenge, mini stocks. I think Pierce stocks as well, and as well as the Canadian Vintage Modifieds. Going to be an action packed night of racing. I'm more jealous of, go- of Megan going to the dirt track because uh, that was actually our game plan for Saturday. If it rained out at Flamborough and Maryville mm-hmm. didn't rain out. That was our that was our backup plan. <laughs> but Megan, we uh, we, we got to talk because we might we got to. Uh, we're pulling a double duty in a couple of weeks and we got to see if you guys want to join us. So For we'll sure. talk after we get offline here and, uh, but yeah, make sure you guys, uh, like share, subscribe to the true North racing podcast on Facebook, Instagram, or wow. Make sure you guys subscribe to Joe media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and make sure you guys like follow, share, subscribe to the true North racing podcast on anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify. And of course now, youtube where you guys are going to catch a whole lot of action in this podcast on youtube because gary showed us a whole lot of stuff yes he did from megan mitchell i'm john morrison thank you guys for listening to the true north racing podcast brought to you by general media promotions we'll see you guys next week bye now see us i almost hit leave meeting every time <laughs> gives me the okay That's a live mouse. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. okay. Anyways. <laughs>